This is Ryan Nidell, host of 15 Minutes to Freedom, a podcast dedicated to helping you expand your mindset and get shit done. Be sure to subscribe to this show and leave me a review if I've been able to impact your life in any way. Reviews help me reach a higher ranking, which in turn allows the message to reach more people. It's my goal with this podcast to positively impact a million people's lives. Also check out RyanNidell.com for additional content. That's R-Y-A-N-N-I-D-D-E-L.com. Also find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook at Ryan Nidell. So today's episode, I am fortunate to have Sarah and Josh Bomar in the office, the leaders of, the owners of, I can't even, there, there's so many things, like they're laughing right now. There's, there's hunting, there's nutritional supplements, there's training, there's all these things that they do. So without further ado, Sarah and Josh Bomar. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for that introduction. <laughs> That's awesome, man. No. Well, we, we're very happy to be a part of the show, and we've uh, definitely been listeners of your show, and we love how you do things, and, and I know you always provide great, great content for people and, and the relatability that you have, and then obviously always providing solutions and uh, lessons people can learn. I think that's awesome. So we're very honored to be on your show. Thank yes, you very we're much. we're very excited. Yes, thank you. So in, in complete transparency for you guys out there, I've known Sarah and Josh now four, five, six years. They happen to live yeah. in Columbus, yep. super fortunate. So when I asked them to be on the show, like, look, you can do it at your home or come to the studio. Like, no, we'll drive in, we'll see it. So it's cool to have somebody in the studio face-to-face versus Skype or Zoom or whatever. Right. right. And so if you don't mind, share with the listeners how you guys met, like the story of who you are. Like, I know <laughs> you can go yeah. as deep into this story as you want to or as shallow as you need to go. I know yeah. I know some pieces and parts that you've shared yeah. with me. But obviously, you know, how long have you guys been together for? We'll start with that. Um, so we, Josh hit on me at the gym during the weekend of the Arnold in 2014. So. So, so for those of you that don't know, the Arnold Classic is something that goes on in Columbus, Ohio every year, has for more years than I can count, probably 30. I think, thir- I think this is the 30th year. Yeah, 30 yeah. year anniversary. So. Once a year, Columbus, the first weekend in March, Columbus basically shuts down for every meathead, bodybuilder, nutritional summit. Like we all just flock to Columbus and it's always cold. It's always miserable. And so Josh hit on Sarah because at that point, you, what if you weren't living in Columbus, right? right? Right. Yes. I lived in Toledo. I was working at a digital marketing agency up there and was in town for the Arnold working with a sponsor and just needed to get to the gym. You stand on your feet all day. It's very long days, especially if you work the expo. And I was at the gym. I was doing glutes, hat on, headphones in, no. don't talk to me written all over my face. And lo and behold. Well, <laughs> to give myself a little credit here, we were working out. It was a Saturday night mm-hmm. and it was at, during the Arnold at 930 at night where pretty much everybody in the whole city's out clubbing. And you were up at the Lifetime where I work out at Dublin, right? Yep. The one where I see you guys yep. now. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the demographics or geographic area of Columbus, the expo is downtown, heart of Columbus. Mm-hmm. This gym is a 25 minute, 20 mile drive into a suburb that's pretty obscure. Like you wouldn't, if you're staying right. downtown, you wouldn't just happen to end up in the suburb of, you know, right. middle America, really. Right. right. And I mean, if you've ever been to the Arnold and have stayed downtown and have tried to work out downtown at Metro or Power, you can't even get in, let alone try to get a good workout. So I, you know, I'm just searching on my phone, 24 hour gyms in Columbus. Oh, there's this lifetime that's 20 minutes away. Cool. I'll just go there. Probably won't be busy and get a good workout in, do what I need to do. So yeah, so when I saw her and I was like, we're, we're one of the only people in the gym, yep. you know, there's other people working out, but I'm like, 
here's this chick, and I, I lived across the street at the time at the apartment complex. I said, here's this girl at 9.30 at night. I said, working out in these po pink polka dotted pants. And she, I was like, she's smoking hot. And I could tell she doesn't want to be bothered. She's not yeah. trying to flirt because she's got the hat on. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was like, I got to talk to this girl. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I have to. I didn't want to. It was uncomfortable. She's not open at all. I got to yeah, talk I to got her. It. Like, it's a mission. <laughs> going after this one, you know. So I was trying to time up a water fountain meetup. Of course. So, so of course, I'm over there doing push-ups with my stringer on, my red stringer. <laughs> and I'm doing push-ups, get my chest as big as I can. And here she comes. She's coming to the water fountain. I'm like, all right. So then I walk over and here's, she's coming and uh, right before the water fountain, there's a lap pull-up machine mm -hmm. and uh, an assisted lap pull-up machine. Well, she was doing a superset of the squat rack and then a superset with a lap pull-up machine, which, uh, which was right beside the water fountain. Yeah. Yeah. I thought she kept getting a drink of water. So she, every time I would go to the water fountain, she'd turn off and go to that stupid machine. So she would and never- I didn't even notice him. And that's the most horrible thing. Like I was just so, zoned in yeah and then the second i took my i don't even think my headphones had hit the ground and i hear someone hey did you work the arnold you know we're all tan i'm getting ready for a show he's lean and it just you yeah know, well after six just, times yeah. of trying to meet up at the water fountain <laughs> i was like this girl doesn't drink i was like is she even human you know I was like, yeah i was yeah. like forget it i'm just going to talk interrupt her workout the golden rule to not do yeah. if you want to hit on a girl but i was like I'm, de I'm i'm desperate at this point to talk to this person i'm like i'm yeah. doing it anyways who cares of yeah. course yeah so yeah. i was like well what could i ask her i'm like she was in shape and i was like yeah she probably worked the arnold so not a cre cheesy pickup line like right excuse me ma'am i need your glutes to stop staring at my eyes you know they're being rude something they're talking. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't do that so yeah it was uh it was pretty funny but yeah i hit on her and and we, we really hit it off pretty quick, to be honest. Like, it was one of those things, like the conversation flowed really well. I could tell she was intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she worked the Arnold, happened to work the Arnold with Dave Vollmer, which was a great friend of mine I'd known for years. Yeah. And so I was like, it, there was some synergy there. And it was awesome. That's great. So you guys hit it off very quickly. Then mm -hmm. you still went back to Toledo, Toledo hometown. Mm -hmm. You stayed in Columbus. How long was that long distance? How did that go and how, how long did that stay? So I, I have my master's in marketing and I loved my job in Toledo. I loved the agency. I just didn't necessarily love, the clients weren't sexy. You know, it mm -hmm. wasn't just something that I wanted to do forever. And I was already looking to expand and spread my wings and look at different jobs in Columbus. And interview process takes a long time, especially when you have your master's and you've got higher credentials and it's harder to find a job. And so I was probably looking for five to six months before the Arnold ever even happened. So it was okay. just very weird how everything worked out. And I actually had an interview the next week after the Arnold in Columbus. Mm -hmm. So I came down, did the interview, they offered me the job and him and I had only known each other for like 10 days at this point yeah and, and so i'm over here thinking like oh really you just happened to get a job in columbus in <laughs> yeah. my home city moments after we met i was i was right. pretty suspicious that she was a crazy stalker so. yeah, yeah so there's there's that um <laughs> but yeah and i i came down i interviewed got the job got the job offer quit my job moved to columbus all within three weeks yeah it's crazy and then, insanity at this point I, I, we'll get to the why it's important later you were a vegan at this point in life right like yes stayed away so, from meat lived the vegan lifestyle yes so that was really funny actually on our first like date was at the convention center food court and yeah. you know I'm, I'm ordering and he's like why are you getting a vegetarian meal i'm like because i am one like i have not eaten meat since 2011 and his head oh almost gosh. exploded so yeah because i'm just like oh my gosh i'm here i am a person that goes out and harvests all their own meat you know yeah. i'm a bow hunter and I, I go out and i get my own food right and and here she is a vegetarian i'm just like 
well, this isn't gonna work. I'm like, this is this is terrible. And I was we got along so well at this point. I thought there could have been something there, you know. I was like, dang it. Yeah. I was like, well, friend zone it is. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, I guess. Um, but no, I was very open minded when Josh was explaining to me the benefits of hunting and all the good that comes from conservation efforts, and especially being a bow hunter. And that was, I mean, that's a whole nother thing that I'm sure we'll get into. But yeah, I, I moved and got my got my own place even though i actually never even stayed there um but good for you yeah Yeah. um pay rent somewhere you don't live right yeah yeah yeah. and i had a week in between moving and then starting my new job at this other agency and that was my whole thing both my parents are not entrepreneurs they've got their masters in finance they're always save 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 sit in a desk work for someone else which is fine we need you know we need everyone to do what they're good at and that's all i was kind of told my whole life was Mm -hmm. just work at a desk and when I met Josh and he said he did fitness for his job and I'm like well that's that's really cool like I, I would love to do fitness for my job I yeah, didn't of course. even think it was possible and so I moved and I had this in-between week and I was like well what am I gonna do and Josh was like well let's just kind of plug what I've been doing with my followers into your social media following and we'll see what happens. Now at this point, how large, if you can remember, how large is the quote unquote social media following from back then? Yeah, I think at that time, what, 150,000 on my page? Yeah, so. So how did you, I mean, we're three, four, five years ago now. Mm -hmm. How did you have so many followers back then? Just the marketing and the things you knew how to do? Were there, being a, a, fitness model essentially be, be, be right. honest yeah being attractive I so mean it- I've got there's two things that are really funny so I, I actually started my Instagram before videos so it, it you know a lot of I'm sure Millennials are on here like Instagram never had videos <laughs> right, Instagram right. used to never have videos which is huge now to show your personality so I actually started Instagram I was against it when I first started because mm-hmm. everyone in the agency you know you got to get on this Instagram thing and I'm like man like another thing to update I'm like I do Facebook is no no you got to get on Instagram so it was really funny my first photo is actually a cupcake which is just so funny and ironic but yeah um, there's this huge page called cats of Instagram and my one cat my my cat Tom he's got a blue and a green eye and I just tagged them for fun and they ended up posting it and so that kind of sparked the followers to come in you know yeah it was a lot of cat people but that's you fine. Gained, like I love eight cats. or nine thousand followers yeah, from it that was, post it was yeah. from a cat photo yeah well, yeah and, and so anybody we might as well shout out your social media handles now yeah. so Sarah's Instagram feed her story there has to be bare minimum five posts a day about your cats. Yes, on my story. Yeah, a- absolutely. Love the story. Yeah. yeah. So, so what's, what's your social handle so everybody can come see it? Yep. So it's Sarah underscore Bomar. S A R A H underscore B O W M A R. Josh. And then mine's uh, just Josh Bomar. J O S H and then B O W M A R. No underscore. Makes yeah. sense. So, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take the cover off this for just a second. When you go to her social media, you'll see she's slowly gravitated from that hundred thousand plus followers to I think she's you're north of a million now. Yeah, one point two million. And yeah. I mean, it's just it's crazy to see that sort of growth. She got that fancy. Yeah. Blue check next to her name, oh, being yeah. a verified oh, yeah. <laughs> Instagram superstar, and yep. and Josh has crossed a hundred thousand. Yeah, and like it, it's it, a big milestone. It's a huge milestone. I mean, you think about it, like yeah, you guys see, I put out content literally daily mm-hmm. and yeah. consistent, and play the algorithms and do the whole thing, and I'm at twelve thousand five hundred if I'm lucky. Like it's such a tough thing to get that to go the right way without taking all the shortcuts, like buying right. followers and and you know stuff yeah. I've done I before. Do, that, doesn't, I mean, that doesn't work. It doesn't. I mean, I did it two or three years ago. I've been open with that and slowly weeded them out and got rid of them. And now it's, you know, backfilling in. It's just right. congratulations to both of you just for the consistency of content and value of message because that's the only way this game works. Like right. People have to tune in. So nonetheless, yeah. I digress. I've taken no, it off, off, off yeah. course now. <laughs> no. So you're back here. Yep. You're plugging in your fitness stuff into Josh's fitness methodology mindset and what, what yep. he's offering the world. Yep. 
And then? So, so that was that was a week in between, like I said, old job, starting new job. And mm-hmm. everyone has that transition period. So I moved to Columbus, quit my old job, about to start my new job, just met this new guy. And he's telling me all these fitness things. And I'm like, at the time I was fitness nutrition certified, still am. And, you know, I was just kind of doing it for fun. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were asking me what I was doing. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to help you if I'm not certified to do so. So I got certified, was just doing it as a side thing. And then it was my only thing for a week. And he's like, well, let's just plug in what I'm doing. And in that one week, I made more money. And it's not all about money, but you have to make money to live. And I made more money in that one week than I would have in a month at the agency. Yeah. And I was like, this, I, I like it chill singing about it. You know, it's just like, it's unbelievable. And I called my mom, you know, master's in finance, numbers lady. And I'm like, mom, like, I'm not going to take this job. I'm mm-hmm. like, stupid. Why? Why? I'm doing this and I'm like, maybe even if it's for six months, it's still cool that I can be able to do this. And I always have my degree in my education. I can always do something else. And her head almost exploded. But, you know, so I told her, I'm like, I'll add you back on my bank account. You're my mother. If you ever see anything alarming, I will listen to you. Voice of reason. Tell me to go back and get a job. I'll do it. And six months later, she's calling me saying, well, you need to speak to our financial advisor. There's too much money in there. You yeah, know, right. so it's just, just very interesting. Right. Yeah. So it's just very interesting how yeah, quickly it, was, it can change. It was pretty cool because mm-hmm. I, I designed my own fitness systems. Like and most people go to the gym, they work out and that's it. Mm-hmm. Like every time I worked out, I wrote down that workout and yeah. then I tested it on my clients. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I fine tuned it until I made this perfect system, you know, that anyone, no matter what level of fitness could do this time-based kind of workout. Mm-hmm. Well, I did this for, and I got six months of workouts. So then I was selling those as programs, you of know, course. and then I customized the diet and mm-hmm. I was just selling them to my Facebook followers and, yep. and people at the gym. And I, my whole, my whole idea was create systems. Mm-hmm. If you can create a system, then you get both two things are more important than, or two things are extremely important to have freedom in life. And that's time and money, Right. you know? So I was like, systems is the answer. So I was trying to create these systems and do these things. And so I was doing it with, you know, I think I had like 12 or 12,000 followers. 15,000 15, yeah. Because yeah, I'd won the Arnold at this time. Oh, yeah. And I forgot it. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, a, pro, you're a pro. What's your, your pro, yeah. not body, physique? Yeah. Physique. Yeah. 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 So I, I won the Arnold twice at this point. And then, um, and then I, I'd won. I hadn't turned pro. At the, no, no, you were. You I was a pro. pro. Yeah. I turned pro. That was back in 2014 we met. Yeah. Yeah. So I won a lot of bodybuilding shows and, yeah. and physique shows and, and kind of went. My whole thing got started. You know, I won Mr. Ohio. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I won the Great Lake show and the over. And then I won Mr. Natural USA, a drug tested show, which was pretty cool. And, Absolutely. And uh, and then I went on and I won the Arnold. And then I tried to win nationals and fell on my face. I mean, didn't even place. Yeah. Like last. Like they only placed the top 16. And I was like way, way bad. Because mm-hmm. I had this big ego at this point. You know, I'd won all these shows. I thought yeah. I was the next big thing. And then I just get slapped in the face with reality that I'm not that great. Right. So it. So I worked hard, went back, tried the Arnold again, and I, I did win the Arnold again, which I was super grateful for. And then I took the whole year off, the whole rest of the year, to build my own businesses. Mm-hmm. Because as, you know as well as I do, Ryan, as big as you are, and you know what it takes to discipline and then competing, yeah. I mean, you can't do anything else. Right. You know, people think you make all this money in the, as a bodybuilder. No. no. <laughs> you spend it's, so much. Yeah, I mean, I, we're fortunate, I think, at this table to know some of the top five or ten bodybuilders in the country. And short of the fact of the top two that get big checks from winning a contest, even if you win a contest, you might get a $10,000 check. And your food for the year is obviously way more than 10000 bucks. Like, way more. Like, right. Way, way more. That's not including, I'll call the the steroids, the anabolics. I mean, not that you were on that path, but, you know, the professional bodybuilders, the guys that are walking around at 280 pounds at 2% right. body fat. I think we all understand the fact there's some extra things that go on. Yeah. Just your average cycle of steroids for them is 
two to three thousand dollars. Like right. the math doesn't work unless you have a secondary well, business. And you also have to pay your mortgage and <laughs> right. go to the gym. And you know, there's a lot of expenses, and it's so there's just this big misconception that you know you have to compete to gain a social media following, and that's far from the truth. You know, a- yeah, it builds credibility, but at the same time, it's not something that is attainable or even a goal for many people. So did you so, ever compete, Sarah? Yeah, I competed in eight, seven or eight bikini shows between 2013 okay. and 2014. And that was another thing that really helped me gain my initial following was I was competing as a vegetarian. And that's oh, very yeah. rare for a lot of people, you know, so that just all the recipes that I was making and all the ways that I was hitting my protein goals while competing and also being a vegetarian was really, really helpful. Absolutely. So, yeah, I digressed from it too, because I kind of told the story of how I started to build something that she yeah. could then sell, you know, so that's yeah. kind of where, I for, we forgot to add that no, part that's of the story in there, so I thought yeah, I'd share it. There's yeah. such a powerful <laughs> message there. I mean, for everybody that's listening right now, when you find somebody that has a workable system, workable process, there's nothing wrong with whether you're dating or if you just know somebody, to sit down and ask them how they did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then ask if you can apply that same part to your business or to your idea. Right. Like most entrepreneurs, even if you guys weren't dating, like if I came to you right now, Josh, and said, you have this great idea, I've got a following or I've got whatever, could I white label it, could I license it, could I pay you 10% of my earnings for you? There's at least a conversation to be had there. You might shoot me down, but one entrepreneur to another, most of the time you're like, I can make some passive income, I don't have to do anything, I've already built the work, sure. Right. Well, and right. honestly, most people that come, they, they like the idea of being an entrepreneur, but it's not a reality for them because right. they think it's cool to put in their, their <laughs> Instagram bio, entrepreneur, entrepreneur. but yes. they don't have the work ethic. They still prioritize entertainment over work. And until yep. they make that switch, they'll never be an entrepreneur. They'll be an employee, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's different things. So honestly, for me, anybody that comes and asks me questions, they say, hey, I'll buy you lunch. Mm-hmm. I would totally go to lunch. Absolutely. Tell them everything. Because if that person is willing to do the work and do whatever it takes, they're going to create products that'll be great for the society and the mm-hmm. marketplace. And I'll be I'll be happy to be a part of that. Have a little fingerprint on that. That'd be cool. Well, yeah, and I had that same conversation with some people today over at the printing office next door. That if you look for a mentor, if you look for somebody that's done something you think is bigger than you've done before, and that person won't give you some knowledge or time. They probably haven't really done what they say they've done. Right. Because anybody that I know that has achieved any level of success, I don't care what we deem success to be, we all want to see somebody else succeed as well. Like, I don't know anybody that's like, nope, I know how to do this marketing thing. I'm not going to tell anybody because fuck everybody else. Right. That doesn't happen, like, at all in the real world. Right. Like, all the haters and all this stuff that everybody talks about, like, I just, I haven't experienced that. And I, if I have, I've just ran away from those people because they don't line up with really the way the rest of the world works. Yeah, and that's a powerful lesson there. Most people are scared to ask these people for help. Mm-hmm. Sending them a DM, sure, and you answer a dumb question like how do I, or you ask a dumb question like how do I make more money, you're gonna get a very dumb answer. You know, oh yeah, work harder. And that, that's not very helpful, but if you, the quality of your life I feel like is the direct correlation with the quality of the questions you ask. Mm-hmm. You know, if I sat down and I, I had a very you know, specific question for you with marketing or something. Yeah. Boom, you could give me a very specific answer that can move my forward in my life. I'm like, hey Ryan, how do I how do I market my brand? I mean, <laughs> think about that answer. I mean, you're just right. like, yeah. oh my gosh, where do I start? Yeah. And then you you're like, it's just too much. I'm just gonna say, well, you start by delivering value. 
you know, something simple like that that's not helpful. Of course. But, but so these people, if you're if you're listening to this and you're wanting to find an entrepreneur or you know an entrepreneur or a successful person, you know, one of the things that I did for starting out, because I came from a family that lived on a dirt road. I wasn't grown up with a lot of money. Mm-hmm. In fact, in 2008, my parents both filed bankruptcy and lost everything, including yep. their house. I mean, so I didn't come from like this big entrepreneurial background, you know. Mm-hmm. Both my parents owned their own businesses. My mom was a cleaning lady. It wasn't, and my dad was a plumber. So it wasn't like a this big, huge corporation or anything, you know. Right. So the point is, is like I, whenever I found somebody that had information that I wanted to know, I tried to work for them for free. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was bodybuilding, doing this stuff. I met a guy by the name of Michael Drew and uh, a, a great friend of mine, and he was my first mentor. Yep. You know, because he wanted me to personal training. He was going to pay me 60, 70 bucks a workout, which is, which is a lot, especially when you're, I mean, that's 70 bucks an hour. (laughs) Right. Oh, I needed the money bad too. Like really bad. But you know, the cereal story. Oh, I, I, yeah, I remember back then. I mean, I had 72 cents in my account and Mm -hmm. I was just like, I had to return open boxes of cereal for $12 to get gas. I mean, I remember those days. And so like, this is that time frame when I told a guy that was about to pay me $70 an hour, to, that I, I said, dude, I want, I want to train you for free, but I want lunch with you every week. And mm-hmm. I said, lunch goes as long as it goes. I said, but I'll, I want to ask you questions and uh, you just answer them about your business. He has a successful real estate business. Yep. Total different field of what I ever wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. But I knew enough that the principles were going to be the same. Absolutely. So that was one of the best decisions I ever made. For oh, sure. It sounds like, especially as we get into what you guys have built in the mass now, like it's mm-hmm. obviously impacted that. I got, I, I'm going to add one little caveat to this. So when you don't get an answer, especially in today's social media, I know I get, if I get a couple hundred messages a day, you guys have to get a couple thousand messages a day. Sometimes inadvertently, the person you're reaching out to might just glance over it, think they've responded, get busy and not respond. Right. Stay consistent, like stay consistent in searching for the person to help you. Don't, it's not going to bother me if you keep asking, Hey, it, it is if you're being annoying about it, but just to ask the questions, keep up with it. If you don't get your first answer back of like, yeah, sure. I'll, you, you can be my mentee. There's more to it than that. It's it's a bigger plan than that for most of us. Right. And I think it's very helpful too. like, so because we, we answer all of our own DMS, comments, emails, the whole nine yards, and we run our own pages, our outdoor page, my cats have a page, our nutrition page, and we run a lot, but I think it's very helpful too. I love answering questions because then if I see a common trend, I'll just write a blog about it. Mm-hmm. And then I can send people. So instead of me answering the same question 15 times a day, I can sit down for four hours and write a very well thought out blog yep. and say everything I need to say. And then I can just send them the link. And then here you go. And now you actually have an answer and it's not killing my brain cells to answer the same well, thing. Absolutely. And that gets into a whole separate conversation about scalability right. and efficiency of time. Like these are just lessons you learn after beating your head against the wall. Because we, I mean, it sounds like you've lived the same thing I've lived. Like yeah. you, I want to answer everybody. I'm going to fix everything. Then you look back, like I've answered the same damn question like 27 times. Exactly. How can I do this better? Now, now you can just do a podcast on it next week and then send them a That's link it. to that. You yep. Know? Common questions asked, asking Ryan. You know, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, that's another thing for us with uh, when it comes to social media and responding to people. A lot of these people will start getting, I think one of the biggest things that helped us move past and create, you know, raving fans and, and having a real influence over people. Because there's, I mean, they'll look at these people that have big followings and some of them are just that, a following. They don't, there is a difference between having a following and having an influence. Absolutely. And how you have an influence over somebody, you could even answer that question and anyone really can. It's like, you got to be able to, I guess the... The correct way to do it is like if you can answer a problem 
for answer a problem that they don't even know they have until you've already answered it kind of deal. It's like mm -hmm. there's a different way of languaging it that's better, but yeah. and then they're like, oh my gosh, this is great. Or, hey, this person just gave me a glute exercise like Sarah, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to build my glutes. Yep. And then you, you establish that little heartstrings with that. Yeah. And you get that influence of those people. And that's something that you shouldn't look over. And for us, like if we, every person that comments, we look at it as a potential per, a, a person we're sitting in a room with. Mm -hmm. You know, we, 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 our whole entire life, we, everything we run off of is, if you want a million fans, you have to shake a million hands. Yeah. And in the, in the digital world, you know, a comment back is a handshake. Mm -hmm. uh, returning a DM is a hug. You know, and we try to shake as many hands as possible and give as many hugs as possible because we know that those people can become fans if we actually help them. Oh, absolutely. You know? And those are the people, the law of reciprocation. Mm -hmm. You know, how that works. It's like, oh, yeah. if you help somebody, you feel the innate desire inside of you to give back to that person. Yeah. And that's how we operate our social media, you know? So we'll just sell the things they're already buying and because hopefully we helped them, you know, then they buy from us. A hundred percent. That's just, I mean, it's, it sounds like we'd have whole step. We'll have episode 2.0 yes. of just lessons. <laughs> I want to get more into some of the meat and potatoes. We've set up the frame of now how you guys met. Yep. You've At this point, you're starting a successful training business, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. You've decided not to take the job inside the marketing agency. Correct. Your parents given you have you given you the blessing. Yep. So at this point, you're both essentially owning personal training businesses, right? Yep. Yeah. So we had... Kind of together, actually. Yeah, which was crazy, but a lot of people... So we met at the Arnold, and then the Olympia's in September, so... Six months later, we got engaged at the Olympia. So that's quick. Very yeah. quick. Good for you, man. Lock yeah, it down. Make sure it's yeah. yeah. not going anywhere. Oh, I'm feeling the pressure from her too. So yeah. it was definitely well, both sides. It was, it was because we were getting opportunities to own different companies, and so okay. a supplement company approached us and a friend and said, "Hey, I'm starting this company, Natural Science Creation. I really want you guys to be a part of it. I want you to own 50% of it." And so we were just like, "Oh no!" Like. Does he give 25% and I give 25% and then we get married, we have to go back and do all the things. And we're just like, you know, like we, we work together 24 seven, 365, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, you're gonna find out pretty quick if you can work with someone, if you're building a business together and then sit next to each other side by side on broken kitchen chairs. A little you. tiny yeah. apartment, you yeah. know, yeah. where we started with a table I got at New Uses, it's basically Goodwill. Of course. And the chairs yeah. were broken and it was it yeah. was funny. But yeah, we were sitting shoulder to shoulder 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We never took time apart from each other. Still to this no. day, we don't. No. Much, Did either one of you have any sort of doubt, apprehension, anything about getting married? No. I, You know, for me, um, I didn't have any doubt. Mm -hmm. but. Whenever she was definitely, if I was to be honest, when it comes to like um, meeting, it was it was pretty funny. She was su ultra aggressive. I was oh, kind of yeah. conservative because I just got out of a relationship. Okay, that wasn't really serious, but it's like I thought it could have been, and it was like short. And I was like, I I thought I wanted something like that, and I realized very quickly I didn't. Yeah, and I was just like, maybe I need to question like what I'm doing. So be what I want, as, and I didn't want to make another mistake, you know, mm -hmm. in a relationship. So I actually went crazy with reading relationship books as a single guy. Yeah. Yeah, I bought the Tony Robbins DVDs. And of course. And let, read the five love languages. And I was like, because yeah. if I find a girl that I really want, then I don't want to screw this up. Mm -hmm. So I made a list of 126 things that I wanted in somebody. Yeah. Because I knew uh, I knew how, that, how it works, you know, law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And I knew if I find someone that meets all 126 things, then that person is someone that I should take seriously. Yeah. And uh, so I had this test, and I'm not like taking a scorecard with Sarah at this point, you know, but I had this list made. And so whenever we met, 
I was like, oh wow, there's so many things I really like about her. And you know, I didn't even think about the list at the time. And we're just like getting along and one week turned into two and then three. And I was like, I'm starting to learn all these things about her. And I, I went back to my list after like a month and I was just like, oh my gosh she's everything on this list and I didn't even realize it because I made the list, you know, and it, yeah. and it had been a while since I looked at it. I'm like, oh, I was like, this is crazy. And I was like, so I, I started feeling that anxiety, that, that, that feeling that it's like, oh my gosh, this could be the one, mm -hmm. you and know? You also, your mom also said you'd never find someone to marry you. Oh, my, yeah. I told my mom, that is the most ridiculous <laughs> yeah. thing I've ever heard. 126 <laughs> yes. things? I can't even think of one thing, you know, I like about your dad. This is funny stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. my mom's hilarious. But no, it's like, so the point is, is, is uh, you know, so I was getting nervous because I was like, oh my gosh. And she's like super aggressive, like moved in with me after a couple weeks mm -hmm. and like we're living together and I'm like, I'm enjoying every bit of it. Yeah. But I wasn't nervous about the relationship. I was just nervous I was gonna make a big mistake. Of course. And and then she started hunting with me and, and she shot a bow and she shot a bow amazing, mm -hmm. which no girl that I've ever dated could pick up a bow and shoot well. So this is obviously before you got engaged. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she, like she, she won bow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I knew, I knew we were gonna be together forever whenever she sold her car and bought a truck. Yep. <laughs> when she did that, I was like, yeah. the only reason she would ever do that is for me. I was like, this chick just bought a truck. Yeah. We've only been dating, it was like a month and a half. Mm -hmm. She buys a truck right. and it's only for activities that we would do together. I'm like, she thinks we're gonna stay together forever. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, and then I was like, well, maybe we are. Yeah. And then I was like, this is, oh my gosh, this could be it. Mm -hmm. So I got nervous, but then I, instead of letting that anxiety take me over, I was like, okay, if this is the one, I said, start paying attention. Yeah. So that's what I did. I started paying attention I, and I was finding everything I loved about her and things that I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, the things that I don't like, how important are they deal breakers? And, and then are they not? Are they not so big? Or, and so I went through this and I said, oh my gosh. I was like, I could spend the rest of my life with this person. Yeah. I was like, this is cool. So then I wasn't scared of it anymore, but there was a time, a two month time frame yeah. that I was a little nervous about it because things were moving so fast. Of course. Right. When I ask that question, because obviously we touch based on relationships and all types of stuff on the show, mm -hmm. and I get a fair amount of questions and, and comments about how do you know? And if, if you have to ask, like, how do you know your partner's the right person? How do you, what should I do in this relationship? If you have to ask that question, I believe you already know the answer. Right. Like I had no doubt I was marrying Lindsay. Mm -hmm. Like I might've been a complete idiot when we started dating. Like that's out there in the, in the open. Like you guys know the story. It's, yeah. it's, there's no secret to it. <laughs> but once the idiotness stopped after the first four or five months and she eventually forgave me for all that for whatever her reason, yeah. there was never a doubt that that was who I was gonna be with. There was never any sort of overcome. Like there was no nervousness the day of my wedding. There was no nervousness like when I was asking her to marry me. Like there was no, like I pulled her hand out of my pocket. I'm like, I already know she's gonna say yes. Like. Right. Let's just get this over with kind of like yeah. I'm excited. Like, okay, let's go do something else now. Right. So yeah. it, it's just nice to hear that a successful, happy couple together, you know, after years together and trials and tribulations we're about to get into that you knew, like you yeah. just knew you I didn't have to it fight helps. it. I think after it really two months, helps. I did. Yeah. yeah. I think it helps too. You don't necessarily have to build a business together, but to work on a project together and mm -hmm. maybe it's you're building a house together or, you know, you just even like little projects. If you can do them together. I know a lot of people like, you know, the man does the hanging of the things. And then, you know, if you can do things together, like take classes together or just work on yourselves together, I think that's huge. Absolutely. And I think learning how to love somebody the way that they want to be loved is very important. Yeah. You, we, by nature, try to love someone the way that we want to be loved. So if you're a physical touch type of person, you know, then you you go up and you give her hugs and try to snuggle and do all these things. And that, that's a way that she doesn't want to be loved and that can become across 
repulsive. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily repulsive, but build resentment, I guess. Yeah. And so if this person loves acts of service, for example, and you never do the dishes, then you're literally telling her every single day you don't do acts of service that you don't love her. Mm -hmm. and you don't even realize it because you're sitting there giving her gifts, you're, you're <laughs> buying her stuff, you're rubbing her back, and yeah. all, you just don't do the dishes, but you're doing all these other things and she doesn't think you love her. Yeah. And, and most people just never never learn these things and, and you're like, well, I like my back rubbed, so why the heck wouldn't you want yours rubbed? You know, it's weird. Yes. So if you can, that's one thing that we always try to do is try to yeah. learn to love each other in the, the love language that we speak. Absolutely. And so and that helps. And for, the, for those of you that are listening, what Josh is referring to essentially the five languages of love, mm -hmm. a book that, you know, listen to it on Audible, grab it on Amazon. It's like a $10 book. And if you're in any sort of relationship or want to be, that is just the base level for how to understand even what the different ways that people want to be loved are. Mm -hmm. Whether you're, you know, whether you have a partner, whether you don't, whether you're not getting along, like there's an answer in that book. I truly feel like for every couple ever, and even if you have it and you've put it in the, the closet for a while, pull it back out and dust it off because as men, we're hard headed. Like I forget. Like yeah. all of a sudden, it's like ah, gifts are good. No, right. no, she wants touch. No, no, gifts are easy. Like, like right? Yeah. So I, I digress from that. Getting back to your guys' story. So you yeah. engage in September. Yeah personal training slash fitness business, starting to grow social media influence. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward a little bit. You get married, things are going well, and we get into now, what point do you cross the, the bridge from vegan world into now you're hunting and probably eventually killing something, right. let's call it what it is. And that, it, was, that was actually fairly quick. So we met first weekend of March, mm -hmm. and turkey season in Ohio comes in, you know, roughly the end of April, and I had moved the whole nine yards before April even. I think I actually moved April 1st. And Josh had explained to me in a very well-organized and just a very level-headed way, like why hunting is so important. And I thought it was so cool that he did it with a bow. And I'm like, well, like this is, this is pretty neat. You know, I was never against eating meat. I was just against perpetuating the factory farming. And so mm -hmm. he's like, well, you, you know, we eat everything we kill. And I'm like, well, that's, that'd be pretty cool. Like, so I could like shoot something with a bow and then I could cook it. And I'm like, well, I would, you know, I would do that. Yeah. And so we got it. We went to, um, there's a pro shop here in Columbus, went to Fisherman's Warehouse and Josh and the owner, great friends to this day, just amazing people. They got me set up with a bow. We were practicing in our apartment complex parking lot at like midnight, which is so illegal. Oh, it's, it's so, so illegal. bad. Oh, sure. Yeah. We were shooting a weapon. Like you, it's the same caliber as shooting like a rifle, but it doesn't make any noise. Right. In a parking lot with like around cars yeah. because we didn't have anything. Else. So we, we waited. We right. waited until midnight. We waited until everyone was asleep. One of us would hold the light. The other one would be practicing. The security guard luckily was like just. You know, I've seen you going on his golf cart, but um, yeah. And then turkey season came around, and I shot my first turkey at the end of April. And for me, I had never grown up hunting. My grandpa raised bison, and so we ate that meat. But for the most part, I mean, we grew up in California. You know, I, I mm -hmm. never was around it. And luckily, no one had ever told me how hard turkey hunting with a bow was because I probably would have psyched myself out. And you know, we walk into Cabela's and hey, sir, you know, did you get a turkey? I'm like, yeah, I shot a turkey with my or shot a turkey with my bow and like you realize how hard that is? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I just kind of did what Josh hard. told me to yeah. do. You know, now well, you I know how hard it is. When yeah. turkey hunt. You <laughs> right. know, because the hens always go to the gobbler. You okay. Know? So then we bring the gobbler to us. And then to, 
to be successful with a bow, most people, you know, try to shoot a turkey in its body, but they have these big feathers and their breast bones are really hard, so it's hard to get in with a bow. Mm -hmm. And usually, even if you do, they fly away and you'll never find them. And so I've always shot turkeys in the head. It's instant. They die in half a second. Yeah, yeah. you and can't really so walk away from that. With a bow and arrow, I mean, we're talking about the size of a golf ball. I mean, Absolutely. it's super small, but it's no wounds. There's nothing ever wounded. If you miss, you miss. You don't hurt them. It's yeah. an all or nothing kind of thing. Yeah. And so Sarah got her first turkey and shot the turkey in the head with a bow and arrow. Now, I mean, were you aiming for the head or yes. was that just like a yes. haphazard? Oh no, it was definitely intentional. Yeah. Um, very quick, very ethical. You know, yeah, like. and then I was able to eat, I was getting ready for the Pittsburgh show in May. Yeah. I was able to eat my turkey, I got to cook it and I was just hooked at that point. And I mean, now what, four and a half, this is my fifth year hunting, fifth season hunting and we've been able to go all over the world now because of it to places that we probably wouldn't have gone otherwise well of course and i want to reiterate the fact so i'm not a hunter on my side i've never been hunting before i believe you two are the only people that i'm friends with now i have maybe one or two other friends that have yeah. openly explained hunting but they do more rifle and high-powered weaponry mm -hmm. your hunting has been bows or things that are harder to kill animals with than a bow correct i mean that's just right so as you're listening to this imagine this that you're, you're traipsing around outside in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. You obviously have no sort of electronics on you, very little, of course. You are hunting your prey that you're actually going to try to eat. You have a bow slung over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. You get essentially one shot, one setup, because I have to imagine once that bow flies off the arrow, they're going to get spooked if they don't get get shot. Right. So it's, it's one attempt, hopefully one kill. And then let's say you do. Let's say you make the connection. And turkeys aren't so large, but we'll say a deer. Mm-hmm. Then you have to figure out how to get that deer back to however far that you walked, and you have to figure out how to field strip it or carry it or do whatever. And you guys are doing all that yourself. Mm -hmm. So these, these expeditions you go on, I mean, you've shared with me, you've been to, you're planning on going to Alaska here in a couple weeks or a month, and you've been to Africa, all over the world mm -hmm. on bow hunting expeditions. When you end up claiming victory, I'll call it, because I think it's a victory, like you're literally outsmarting years and years and years, as you've explained to me, Josh, of evolution and progression where you take a deer that you've so eloquently shared with me is now hyper focused like they're hyper tuned in like their sight is better and their sound is better and their sense of smell is better like they they're designed to eliminate any sort of fear like they're designed to run away from it to know it exists and you're still able to work through the confines of nature and end up winning over that battle then you have to drag the damn thing back and yeah. figure out how to like cut it up like <laughs> yeah. like and deer yeah. aren't light like no. I, I mean you're no, a big guy like, <laughs> yeah you're you're a strong man and it's, you're in shape as well sarah yeah. for the, you guys can't see him on on the the radio obviously mm -hmm. but that's incredible like explain that to me how does that work yeah no, I'd, I'd love to because yeah. you know there is there is a lot of taboo around the topic of hunting mm -hmm. and most people would think of hunting as taking a life and it's being murderous. Like, yeah. I've been called a murderer so many times and I just it, it just makes me sad. I'm not mad at the person, it makes me sad because they're so uneducated. Mm -hmm. So Sarah and I would love to dive into that, you know, and kind of yeah. to gain and not spend a ton of time to gain some understanding to why this works. So what most people understand, I mean, before we even get into why we bow hunt, but understand why we should hunt as a, as a population, you know, is because animals every single year, they, they do three things, sleep, eat, and breed. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. So that breeding part is the most important part to understand is because every single year they breed no matter what. They just don't stop. And so if they breed and they're successful at it, which they are, there's creating a surplus of animals in an environment where it's not growing, in an environment that is actually decreasing because of populations of people. Right. So and you're saying that as we as a society are growing in population as humans, yeah. 
we're obviously taking over more and more land. We're clearing out wooded areas so we can build apartments and houses and, and restaurants. So the pop, the space available for wildlife is shrinking. Right. It is. But the expansion of wildlife is still growing. Absolutely. So Th then, thanks to hunters, actually. Th yeah. So. so it's kind of funny. We can dive into that, too. So you look at this. So the problem is in the spring, the spring has so much vegetation. We have all these crop fields that are growing and food abundance everywhere so they can handle the surplus of animals from the breeding season. All the animals are being born right now. It's Life is everywhere. They can eat everything. Mm -hmm. But if you live in a state like we do, what happens about December? It gets really cold and snowy. It's yeah. not very fun. All the crops picked. Yeah. You know, all the leaves are dead and there's life everywhere still. This surplus of animals is everywhere, mm -hmm. but not a surplus of food. Right. So then what happens is these animals, if too many of them are populated, then they can starve. And if they become weak, just like people, if they're malnourished, they're much more susceptible to disease. Mm -hmm. And when they're susceptible to disease, that can wipe out an entire population. Yeah. So then yeah. it happens all the time in too dense of populated areas where deer or animals, raccoons, they become disease infested and the whole population dies. Mm -hmm. So you can take care of this by being a hunter and obviously taking some of the animals out. Because here's the problem with hunting, and this is something important to understand, is nothing in the wild, nothing, there's no exceptions, die of old age, nothing. So they get to a point when they get so old they can't take care of themselves. And that's when the predators of the wild take over mm -hmm. and they get eaten alive. And that's a gruesome detail, yeah. it's horrible, but every animal you'll watch, if you ever watch any Discovery Channel, they never start at the face. They always start at the, the back end of the animal and they eat it alive. And it's yeah. the, the worst death you could possibly imagine. Or it starves to death if there is no predators in that area. Or, I mean, what, it's just an old person. Imagine an old person that didn't have help. Mm -hmm. You know, so nothing dies of old age. So then you ask yourself as, as a person, you say, okay, well, what would be a more humane way for that old person, that not person, but animal, you know, to, to go out? But uh, four or five seconds of, of being harvested by us, you know, four or five seconds, it's honestly most of the time not even painful for them. They don't even understand what's happening. Right. You know, and because they, they don't. And then that meat is utilized and not wasted. Well, I think that's the biggest part of this to me from the outside, being yeah. a complete ignorant person to this. Not only do you take the time to hunt with a bow, yeah. which yeah. It takes an incredible level of skill and patience, mm -hmm. but then once you do kill an animal, you actually use all the pieces and parts for something. Like, when, and the parts you can't use, you donate food and, and everything else to those that are less fortunate so that it's being passed down. Like, yeah. you don't have, you know, heads of giraffes on your wall because you have this, you know, sport that you went and did and like you're pounding your chest. Like, right. you killed animals because you want to help the population as well as eat their meat. Right. Like, of course. Well, and like, 90, 93% of America eats meat. Yeah. And I think 2% hunt. So there, think there's, about that. A lot of people a, listening to this may may feel, um, and hopefully they didn't turn it off yet. You know, mm -hmm. but they're like, oh, I can't believe these guys do this as they're eating a cheeseburger as they're listening, yeah. or they're eating, you know, anything. That's well, we've got become so desensitized to where our food actually comes from. Well, of course. And so it's it's very easy to go to the store and grab food mm -hmm. without no meat, without knowing that animal lived life and its life was taken from it and probably in a very stressful situation. There's a lot of documentaries yeah. if you really want to get sad to watch on YouTube about it. But for us, you know, it, it is about utilizing every ounce of the animal that we can. And when we go to places, we've been to South Africa twice and there's this huge taboo about hunting South Africa. And, you know, everyone always, you know, you're going to hunt a lion. No. I have no desire to hunt a lion. Or a giraffe. I have no desire, no desire to, hunt to hunt a giraffe. Or anything. <laughs> right. It's a they really don't taste big. Great. It's a really big mount. That wouldn't. You'd need like a three-story house for that. Yeah. And you know, it just it's it's insane that 
yes, even if you do hunt an elephant, for example, that elephant, while you probably would eat some of it while you're there, it feeds an entire village. Mm-hmm. There's, I think National Geographic did a, did a video on it. Um, an American hunter went, in, went and harvested an elephant and within 45 minutes, it was all gone. Oh, if, if you've ever seen, I mean, they are beyond grateful because they don't have the resources uh, to be able to go out and hunt. Right. They try with their spears and their bows, but it's so hard and the animals are so smart, it's not easy. Yeah. And quite frankly, where, where it's not controlled, everything dies yeah. yeah so in africa so if there's no there's no government funding to where it's controlled and people can the government can't even feed their own people let alone protect animals protect right. animals you then know. everything you know that's where things the, the tribes just don't have much to eat so they go the vegetarian route or the grain route where they're growing their own food mm-hmm. and then what happens is is the animals that do come and destroy all their food they just poison them yeah to kill them yep. and then they all die you know, because they're they're taking away their 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 vegetables that they're growing. Of course, so then they can't eat the poisoned meat. You know, so it's 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 kind of messy over there. Well, that's one of the most impactful things you've shared with me so far. Before the episode, is you guys take your hard-earned money from the things that you've done over your time together. You travel across the world for an activity. Of, I, don't, I can't call it a sport because it doesn't feel like a sport to me. Right. It, yeah. it, I mean, sure, sport, but a sport to me is trophy hunting, where you right. guys are going and hunting for to use the meat, yep. but through all that, through your time, energy, effort, and also money, you've donated somewhere in the range of 30,000 people, like 30,000 meals, yeah. Yeah. like you fed 30,000 people basically. Yeah, yeah. and 30, I think, 000. and a lot of people, you know, yeah, we've, in Africa, you can't bring the meat home, you can't even cross, you know, if you're in Af- South Africa, you can't even go to Botswana with the meat, you can't mm-hmm. even cross country line there. And so when we're there, we eat as much of it as we can. You know, warthog is probably one of my favorite meats and you know you think about you know oh pumbaa you know but you see these animals in the wild and it's nothing like that Mm -hmm. it's nothing like that and it's just so neat to be able to eat that food and to say like oh i had warthog bacon this morning and you know and and then you get to donate the meat that you aren't able to eat while you're there you know we've probably spent 30 days in south africa and the last time we went we we went with an outfitter who actually works for and owns a nonprofit orphanage and we were able to donate 980 meals just from that two-week trip yeah. to yeah. those kids. And then the other time we were there, we donated to a school that mm-hmm. had uh, run out of meat. And so the government helps fund meat, but they only get so much every week, mm-hmm. or, and so it would, or every two weeks, and well, they had kids, already ran out. The yeah. population's so spread out in Africa that a lot of children at the age of five will go to school, like college, and parents can on the weekends come see them if they want, but otherwise these children wouldn't go to school. Right. So they, they send them off, and the government then says, okay, each child, each child gets... 30 grams of protein a day and 50 grams of carbs and that's it. And so they send that much food and if you run out within run out. two weeks that the truck comes, too bad. Eat rice, that's yeah. what you get. So they were beyond grateful. I mean, they had prepared songs for us. Yeah. Like they wrote a song for us and were singing a song for us while we were there and like dancing for it. I mean, it was really, really cool. Yeah. Well, absolutely, and like sounds like it. And we did it all with a bow and arrow. Yeah. You know, I mean, we could have went over there with a rifle, don't get me wrong, and shot a lot more animals and donated a lot more. But for us, we just honestly, when it boils down to it, if you're gonna kill something, it should be hard. Mm-hmm. It should be. And I, for us, it's like, we wanna take out the oldest, most mature animal there. And you know what, consequently, 90% of the time, those are the animals that have the biggest racks. Right. That's a byproduct of that. So if you were to come into our house, you would see animals, you know, a deer with big rack, and because we wanna celebrate that, I mean, it takes all year long to sometimes to get that. Mm-hmm. You know, so some of it's a rug or something like that, and there are things around that, that, that are quote unquote trophies. Right. But it's, 
all those animals were utilized and, and for meat. Well, and you what's know, funny and too is them, like, but. you know, I'll, I'll post something with the cats running, you know, we've got three rescue cats and people get on there like, oh, you, you rescue cats, but you've got these deer heads on your wall. And it's like, well, you would get mad at me if I didn't utilize it all. But then you also get mad at me when I do utilize it all and put it on my wall. And every time I look at that animal, I remember how hard we worked. I remember the meat that it gave us. I remember that memory. And for what? I, I could have just not used that skin and those antlers or yeah, I could have donated or, or I could have paid our taxidermist who's a local small business $500 to mount that animal for me. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so it's like yeah, we try to give we try to give back with that stuff but that's yeah. at the same time killing something should be hard. So for us with a bow and arrow like for you to kill anything with a bow and arrow to mm -hmm. successfully harvest it you have to beat them in all of their best senses. Their sense of eyesight, sense of smell, sense of hearing and it is so hard. I if think animals have a sixth sense too. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. You, if you can beat a deer's ears and eyes and sense of smell, I mean, if we walk into the woods and with the wind in the wrong direction, just the breeze blows the wrong way, we'll never see anything. Yeah. I mean, it goes down even barometric pressure and temperature changes. I mean, so much goes into this. I mean, it's crazy. They could smell us from 500 yards away. And you it's know, crazy to me. And it's just like, it's so wild. And to be successful with a bow and arrow is so incredibly hard. But here's what we do. You know what? We buy our tags. We donate all that money to the wildlife conservation. Mm -hmm. We get our tag and we choose to make it as hard as possible. Yeah. So we take the bow and arrow and we go out there and we try. And a lot of times we don't get anything, yeah. but most, some, <laughs> most of the time we do, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like there, there is this balance, but all that money gets donated there. And right. then sometimes we get, and you know, most hunters will pick up a rifle after a couple of days and just shoot one yeah. just to get one. Yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. When you think about it, so a deer is not a, you know, we all have seen deer on the side of the road. Like they're not aggressive animals necessarily. They're not. I'm not afraid to walk up to a deer if I saw it and like try to pet it. Like it seems like a bad idea, but I'd probably still try it. Yeah. Right. But you guys hunt some stuff that could do some serious bodily harm if not kill you. Oh yeah. With a bow. Like what are some of the more I don't want to call it exotic, but dangerous hunts you guys have been on? I mean, we've we've been bear hunting, um, and I know again taboo for a lot of people, but we eat everything that we harvest and mm -hmm. or donate it. Yeah, it's always donated. utilized no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Africa, you know, you, you go out and while we haven't necessarily ever hunted like a Cape Buffalo or something, you know, they call those black death and there's a reason for it. We've seen them and you look them in the eye and you feel your soul, a little piece of your soul kind of just goes with them. Like it's yeah. very eerie. And, yeah. you know, I've, I was fortunate enough the first time in, in uh, South Africa to harvest a blue wildebeest. And so those things we've all seen, Lion King, mm -hmm. Mufasa got run over somehow, you know? And yeah. so they're very dangerous animals. And That's it's- That's the big problem. Yeah. Everyone just associates them <laughs> yeah. with Disney movies. <laughs> but um, you just, you have to be very, very, very aware of your surroundings. Like we go into Alaska in, in a few weeks, like mm -hmm. you mentioned, and there's wolves up there. There's grizzly bears up there. I mean, even in our own backyard, we've got coyotes. Yeah. There's always yeah. something that is we're, out there. People just think we're at the top of the food chain mm -hmm. and that's understood across the animal kingdom and that's not true. No. A bear thinks he's at the top of the food chain. So if he sees us, you know, he's like, who's this? It looks, I, I'm hungry, let's yeah. go. And black you know? bears are very docile animals, but if you get near a big one, mm -hmm. they'll mock charge you. And if you don't stand your ground, then they know you're afraid of them and they will come after you. Yeah. yeah. And it's, most bear, most black bears aren't like that, but I'm telling you, you get big ones. They, they go crazy or old mama, ones. Yeah. Or mama and cubs. I mean, it's lights out. So Yeah, yeah. so I, I need to set the frame for the next part of this yeah. little conversation, not little conversation, but this yeah. has been wonderful so far. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah and Josh aren't just hunters. Like they're not just, they don't just travel around like willy-nilly like yeah. 
Sarah and Josh are towards the upper echelon of hunters from the bow side of the world and bow side of hunting, yeah. however you want to say it, so much so that you're sponsored. I mean, yeah. you have current sponsors and past sponsors. Like that's mm-hmm. so think about that. Like you, you, you see like Michael Jordan get sponsored by Nike. Well, the Bomars are sponsored by whoever Hoyt, it is. Yeah, yeah. those, Hoyt, those the big yeah. the big companies of the industry. Yeah, yeah. So they actually, you know, their apparel and I'm sure some of the things they use and maybe even some of their trips are compensated. Don't need to get into that. That's not what this is about. Right, right. But in that. There's this other little lesson that came, I think, from what you shared with me in 2016. Yep. And this lesson definitely has some taboo around it. Mm-hmm. And it can be polarizing. Like, I'll just set the frame up the right way and let you guys run with this. Yeah. But I think it's such an impactful story to actually share. Probably more impactful than almost anything we've covered so far. Because there's so many lessons that are going to keep dominoing after this little part of the conversation. Yep. Fully sad on the front side. Sarah had a little bit of apprehension about sharing this, so we might have to pull it out of her just a little bit. Just a little bit. Got to call you out just a small amount. But while Sarah and Josh were hunting bear, and I'll set it up the best I can, let you you know recalibrate it, Josh. Josh and Sarah were sponsored by Under Armour, Mm -hmm. the company that we all know in some capacity. Some of us love them, some of us don't. Nonetheless, Under Armour, the, the major corporation. Where they were paying for your apparel and you know hunting the stuff that they offer, like right. you're wearing it, mm-hmm. and in this they had sponsored you to go on a spear hunting expedition right. for some sort of bear. Right. Like, so again, it's already difficult for me to comprehend how you go out in the woods and you have a bow in your hand, yep. and yeah, a bow can shoot. You've shared with me hundred yards, let's say. Let's yep. see, an average person can maybe hit forty or fifty yards, but you have a bow or a spear in your hand, like. An aboriginal spear in my mind, like something right. that's eight or nine feet long, whatever it is, that you're going to throw at an animal and hope to hit it. Yep. Right. And you're throwing at a bear that certainly can kill you pretty freaking easily. Like they For look sure. at you and they just, okay, yeah. like this is no big deal. Swatch you out of the way and kill you. Yeah. And so you guys are going on this spear hunting expedition and you end up after quite some time becoming successful. Right. You end up killing a bear with a spear, which is just phenomenal to me. Like I don't look at any part of that as bad and if you guys don't like this those of you that are listening i'm sorry but like it's so impressive to me that you had a spear in your hand with an animal that could kill you you didn't defecate in your pants you attacked (laughs) you attacked the animal and you won Mm -hmm. like short of having a knife in your hand or going bare knuckle like i don't know what you can do to get much closer yeah, yeah. You, you legally can't use anything less. Yeah. So it's <laughs> right. Yeah, it's as low the weapon as you could yeah. possibly mm-hmm. pick. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all this. There's all this stuff behind it. And Under Armour ends up going through. Uh, you know, the, they're commending you. You know, they're they're happy about. Right. Well, I, I call, I'll call it the kill, but that doesn't feel like it adequately sells what it is. Successful hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Successful yeah. hunt. But then four months later, I'll just say all hell breaks lo- breaks loose. Yeah. Putting it mildly. Yeah. yeah. So I'll let you. You know, take the parts of the story that I didn't tell the right way. Catch us up to the, that four-month window and then share the, it's called the epic backlash that is just yeah. beyond comprehension to me. Yeah. And share what that meant for you guys, not only in, in your business world, but in your personal life and, and some of the lessons that you learned after that. Right. Well, I think it's important to note your history. Well, I mean, also, guys, when we talk about this, this is not an easy subject for us. Right. So just so all the listeners understand, like, because it did cause some serious turmoil in our life. And, yeah. But we're going to be happy to share that with yeah, you, I mean, and share yeah. it with your listeners, because this is, it's important. I want to tell the story. I think Death threats, yeah. people showing up at your house. I mean, yeah. some really oh, yeah. epic things that most of us will never have to deal with, ever be able to comprehend in our lifetime. Yeah. 2016 was just a rough year. Yeah. It was rough, yeah, in every sense of the word. But, you know, for me, so 
in 2015, so like you're mentioning with the Arnold, we also have conventions that we go to in the hunting industry. We actually go to way more hunting shows than we do fitness shows, which is funny. But so we in 2015, um, we went to the ATA show, which is the Archery Trade Association. It's usually held in Indy. We met with Under Armour for the first time. They tell me we're putting together a women's team. We would love to have you on it. They called me in April. They set everything up. Hey, we're going to sponsor you. Josh is not going to be technically sponsored. However, we're going to take care of him. You guys mm-hmm. are a team. We love the team aspect. You're married. We're not putting a men's team together. We're putting a women's team together. Okay, great. 2015 is great. Sending us, you know, all the gear. They never financially compensated us. Okay. Um, they they took care of us with social, you know, so social shout outs. And- Another big, big misconception. They think that these companies pay hand over fist in cash yeah. and yeah. They make all this money hunting and it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. I would have assumed that. I mean, thanks for clearing yeah. that up. Right. I would have figured and, I mean, it was different- a six figure deal for you guys for oh, being oh, sponsored. I wish. Yeah. yeah. You would think. Yeah. yeah. But it's, and- that's just not how the hunting industry is. They just, they you nickel and dime and that's it. So yeah. Right. We were looking, I mean, we did crazy amount of marketing for them and going fast forward into 2017, yeah. right before everything, or 16, right before everything happened, mm-hmm. you know, we were looking at doing quite a bit of money, you know, trying yeah. to do 50, 60,000, which is pretty big, mm-hmm. you know, pretty big sponsorship. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you can continue on. It's- yeah. So, I mean, they, they never financially compensated us, which, which is fine because it was always, we promised, you know, 2017 and 2018 that things are coming. Hunt for Under Armour is still very small and is now shrinking. But at the time, it was very small. You, you'd be hard-pressed to even find it on their website. Yeah. And the owners, big hunters, some very high-up people, they're all, they're all big hunters, which is why Under Armour took on hunting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great that a big company like that said, hey, we have hunting gear. It was cool. Like, I've got this Under Armour logo on my camo shirt, and I get to wear it. And, like, this is really neat. And I'm going on – I went on a trip – out to Utah and we did antelope and we did elk and then I did a photo shoot for them in Wyoming in December and we were just having these great relationships and that is one thing that we wanted to make sure before this bear hunt that it was fine with them for Josh to do this spear hunt. I, I had planned this for six years. It was a goal of mine. Well yeah and you said you were a collegiate javelin athlete right like you've yeah. got massive experience throwing some form of a spear I'll call oh, it. Oh yeah right? I mean I threw I've been throwing spears and even in the yard for six years but I was an all-american javelin thrower I still hold the record at, at Heidelberg University yeah and mm-hmm. so I was like so I was been practicing with the spear for a very very long time and and I'm skilled enough and proficient enough and everyone's like well it's not ethical I'm like well if Ryan if I were to give you a bow right now and or a high-powered rifle that you've never sighted in or practiced with and you went hunting with it well that's unethical too mm-hmm. you know just because you don't it's not a weapon that you've ever shot or know how to shoot and mm-hmm. but if you practice with it then and you're proficient with it and you have an effective range of hunting with it it's then considered ethical right well why is it unethical for me with a spear if i can practice every single time within 15 yards and hit that bullseye mm-hmm. every single time it's ethical so it's people said it was unethical because they're like well why didn't you use a rifle i'm like you should be rooting for me if you care about animals because the animal gets the greatest chance of escape yeah. using right. this weapon. And Under Armour, Under Armour was good with this yeah. expedition, right? They were they were all about it, really. Yes. Well, that's the whole point. Is like yeah. I, I, I kind of sidetracked there. But, yeah, I, I had planned this for a long time. So January, I was planning on going on this hunt in the end of May. Mm-hmm. I, I went, talked to them at the booth. I said, guys, I'm planning on doing this spear hunt. I'm not even technically sponsored by you, but I'm going to be wearing your gear because you give us all the free gear that we want. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to be wearing all your gear. Do you guys have a problem with it? And their whole thing, their whole slogan was, go where you don't belong. And they're like, oh, I think this correlates great with our brand. Go where you don't belong. Being the ultimate predator is another thing. It's like, they were like, this is a great idea. 
Yeah. Oh, do it. So I actually, we went to an Under Armour sponsored bear camp. So they, they sponsor the owners of this bear company, or yeah. that company of this bear camp, mm -hmm. which is basically this outfitter. So I, we go there, everything is great. And I come up there with a spear and uh, normally bears are more docile. And I wanted to do it on the ground, not in a tree. Because again, I do it in a tree, it's not that hard. You put bait under the tree, they drop come it. under it, you drop the spear. It takes very little skill to do that, but still, really hard. Yeah. I want to do it on the ground, mano y mano. No, no backup. Back, no backup rifle, no yeah. backup weapon. It was me versus the bear. And how big was this bear? Like He was huge. It, it's <laughs> a, there's no doubt about it, it's a world record, for sure, with a spear. I mean, this thing, I, I hunted bear for five years mm -hmm. with a bow. Yeah. Uh, a homemade bow, but I still hunted for five years and I'd never seen a bear half as big as this one. I mean, if, if weight-wise, can we even conceptualize four, well, four About 450 pounds, roughly. And we in hunted the in the spring, so he was coming out of hibernation. So. Right, so smaller Six, 700 pound black bear, which, yeah. so the, a, a big, huge black bear from the measuring from the nose to its tail mm -hmm. would be a six footer. Okay. Like, I mean a monster. Like if you can get a six foot black bear, I mean, that's a monster, yeah. and he was seven one. So I mean, to give you, I mean, a, I mean a mammoth, and I, yeah. would, I would have speared any bear that was mature, any of them. I didn't. It just happened to be like this huge world class bear, right? And and that was probably one of the reasons I was successful with it, just because you know he did challenge us. It got very scary during that hunt because normal bears, if they see a human in this part of the country or in that part of Canada, they run away. Yeah. You know, this bear challenged us mm -hmm. and he went mano y mano with us and he'd mock charged us twice. He circled us for two hours and it was pouring rain and freezing cold and we had no backup weapon. And I was just like, this isn't the way this hunt's supposed to go. Like this is getting serious. And that level of fear that rose in me was intense and it was yeah. not enjoyable at all. Like I'm like, I, I didn't think this was going to be that dangerous of a hunt, you know, mm -hmm. like I knew there was an element of danger, but this was getting serious. Like this bear could charge us for real at any time. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Just fight him off with this spear? Yeah. He'll, he'll win. Yeah. Poking? <laughs> Stay I mean, away. <laughs> like, po I mean, he'll maul me to death. Yeah. Well, so. and that's another thing too, I think is very important to note is, you know, people get very sensitive when you talk about wolf hunting or bears. cat hunting or bears. It's very ironic that the things that could hurt you they get very upset over. But in right. reality, you know, bears are not your friend. They, no. They're not your friend, no matter what. They don't what, have a family. <laughs> do, they do not have families. Male bears are very, they're called boars. They're very, very aggressive. They'll kill the cubs of a sow, a female bear, to put her back into heat. Even if they are his own cubs, mm -hmm. he will kill them. And that's why you have that saying, you know, you never get in between a mom and her cubs because that's why. The, that ultra aggression comes yeah. from the, the other, obviously males trying to kill the cubs. Yeah. So, and just be that ultra protective. And it's because again, a female cub, if you don't know, or a, a female with her cubs, they'll have the cubs for two years, mm -hmm. sometimes pushing on three years before they wean off. So she won't come back into heat until they get weaned off. Right. So, I mean, he's all about breeding. He's like, if I kill those cubs, she'll come back into heat and it happens all the time. Yeah. And it's sad. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a happy family and we wouldn't, we wouldn't hurt or go after a female or anything. We're going after yeah. that big boar you know, the old males. Of and course. he was estimated over 17 years old. Okay. So, I mean, he was super old. I mean, I mean, ancient bear. Yeah. And so again, it's, it was super intense, you know, and uh, I, I was- well, we, we filmed everything. So- it's all on YouTube. We, yeah. we also, outside of fitness and nutrition, we have our own companies in the outdoor industry as well. And we're, we don't, we stayed away from TV, but we film everything for YouTube. And mm -hmm. so we've got our own YouTube channel. And so we filmed it for that and got the video up 
at the end of May. Is it still on YouTube? Yeah, oh, yeah. Still on okay. yep. So Good. they can experience it. Well, if they find mine, they can experience the way I edited it. And that was yeah. where the big mistake comes. So Baird comes in. Finally, after two and a half hours right at last light, I threw my furthest throw I've ever thrown, and I hit the bear perfect. And uh, the blade I'm using, and I don't want to get into gruesome detail for you guys, but it's important to understand this part. The blade I was using had a five-inch wide blade, and it was 16 inches long. Okay. And the biggest broadhead on the market that people put on their arrows is two and a half inches wide, the biggest. Mm -hmm. And I was using a five-inch wide blade. I mean, massive, and it weighed over eight pounds. And I hit this bear and got 26 inches of penetration, over two feet of penetration. I mean, and the bear ran 60 yards and died. So a bear runs 30 miles an hour, at that 30 miles an hour, and only making it 60 yards, that's four seconds before he, he died. Well, mm -hmm. and it so. was very, it was 33 degrees and raining, almost snow, and we were up there in May, and it was very dark. And the number one rule, you never track a black bear, one at night, you can't see them, and especially in the rain. Because right. bears, yeah, bears, if they're wounded, they'll run and then they'll circle back and sit on their own blood trail to see what's tracking them. And then they'll attack and kill yeah. its, its enemy. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. so you never want, existed. yeah, so you never want to track a black bear, even if it's questionable but it was already dark it was raining we're like this is just we just need to back out it gets it gets light at four in the morning we will go back to camp we will make sure that everyone's safe and everyone has we didn't have a gun mm -hmm. so right. we're like you know what like we just need to pull out this isn't safe anymore it's not smart to go after this bear and that was one thing that we really should have noted in this video because people just thought like it's oh you just left problem. it there well, you just left the it there and you didn't, didn't go back. Show them that I was a proficient spear thrower. I didn't show any practicing. Yeah. I wanted to create a, vi a viral video of for course. the outdoor industry. You know, it's like, and for me, that was the biggest issue. I created a viral video, but in the wrong way. So mm -hmm. that was a huge lesson I learned was to make sure you tell the story complete, and I didn't. That was a big mistake, and I, I regret it so much because it hurts so bad because that story is tainted. And it was one of my ultimate goals, you know, as a hunter was to be able to do this. And if I would have just told the story right, I think it would have had a different impact. And so the bear obviously died quickly, but we didn't go and get it till the next day, mm -hmm. the next morning. Right. It was freezing cold. Bear went 60 yards. It died very fast. We're super excited. Loaded the bear up, brought it back to camp, skinned it, deboned it, the whole meat process, everything. Yeah. Yep. Super excited. And uh, and it was delicious. It was delicious. I took bear, bear fajitas. Yeah. I took I took pictures to celebrate. You know this triumph with this animal. I couldn't believe I did it. Mm -hmm. You know I took pictures with the spear. Some of them I guess were you know didn't show as much respect, and I thought it showed respect to the animal. You know because I was cheering and celebrating this this victory. And I have such a tough time with that. Like you were face to face. I don't care if it's 15 yeah. yards away, five yards away, or 40 yards away. Like. You're face to face with a bear that if he's standing up is taller than you, outweighs you by at least two times, even at that point after hibernation, mm -hmm. and for all intents and purposes, could very easily end your life. Oh, you yeah. have no backup weapon, you have no anything. Yeah, standing on his feet, he would have been over nine feet tall. Yes, yeah. you, you have perspective. Okay. achieved a lifetime goal that parallels what you've been practicing for most of your life in some way, shape, or form. Right. And then when you go back and find the bear, and you're victorious. How in the world are you not supposed to fucking exactly. celebrate? Like, I just, I, I'm sorry if it offends. I'm not sorry if it offends you. If, if you're listening to this, like, this is a lifetime goal. Like, I don't care what your lifetime goals are. We all have lifetime goals. If my lifetime goal is to go to the freaking moon and I get to the moon, I want a picture with my hands in the air in victory that right. I'm on the moon. I don't care if I'm stepping on the soil. Like, none of that shit matters. I'm victorious finally. Yeah. Right. Like, good for you for celebrating it. Like, yeah. I, I just. Well, and it's super funny too, you know. 
you see you see people online, you know, posting, you know, post show day, they're smiling with the hamburger. Yeah. What's the difference? They're celebrating because it's yeah. it's deep in all of us. And I hate to bring this up to, to everyone to have them question who they are, mm-hmm. but if they are alive today, it is a hundred percent because somebody in their past was an efficient spear hunter. Absolutely. Hundred percent. Yes. It's without question that they would not there that if they trace back their lineage, there would there is impossible not to find a successful hunter. Yes. You know, so it's like the part of who you are, part of who's listening, every one of them have a hunter in them. And for some of us, it's stronger, mm-hmm. and, and the desire to do it is more than others. So. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. So then the video four months later gets mm-hmm. a lot of attention, starts yeah. getting some yes. sort of viral nature, as you've shared. And instead of people commending you, high-fiving you, and sending you care packages, what happens? Well, well. it actually, <laughs> for four months, it was positive. Okay. Like, it was getting 50,000 views a day. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. All the hunters were just like, you just... He's a legend, you know, I can't believe he did that. It's impossible. I mean, it's really hard. I was one of the only people in the world to ever successfully well, harvest a bear. And in this time, Under Armour Hunt, so not Under Armour's big accounts, but Under mm-hmm. Armour Hunt has their own page and accounts, and they're sharing these things. You know, I'm a sponsored athlete. I filmed it. We, He's very excited. We submitted this content for them to use, which was kind of the purpose of it. They were posting it. They were congratulating us, yep. as they should. They're, they're a company that works with us. And... You know, I would get it if, like, I was a surfer and then I decided to hunt. And they sponsored me to surf and then the whole, whoa. But no, we were we're hunters. Absolutely. They sponsored us to hunt. And then we go and their whole brand was all about be the ultimate predator, you know, go where you know where you don't belong. And I lived their brand, you know, Mm -hmm. in that experience. And so... That's where it was. It was. It was kind of crazy because it totally hit us a left hook when it all turned south, and I'll never forget that day. Yeah. Well, it was. So I don't know who saw the video, but there's thousands of spear hunting videos on YouTube, and for whatever reason, it was just this one video that someone got a hold of, and it was a Sunday afternoon. I remember because we were actually up in Toledo for my sister's going away graduation dinner and he gets an email from the daily mail over in the uk mm-hmm. they say we've got a this non-hunting v- country by yeah. the way. yeah yeah we've got this video we want your statement we're going to make our statement on it this is our story we're running and we didn't even see the vid or the email in time before you know they're what 10 hours ahead of us or something and yeah. so they run the vid or they run the article without our response which whatever it, i don't think it would have really changed anything and the entire article was just horribly inaccurate, full of lies, full of just assumptions like, oh, well, this veterinarian said that this bear could have suffered for 16 hours. And it's like, but we found it in eight. So how does that- I was a murderous freak and psychopath because I was celebrating after an animal died. And I get it. I mean, I, if I, I get it from a non-hunter and you see someone cheering over the death of an animal, they think, I wouldn't cheer over the death of my pet, and they think that correlates the same, and it's not the same. I was just saying, I'm not cheering if if a cat or dog dies. I'm not over it in celebration. I'm beside myself, but it was you versus nature, and you won. And you ate it. And you ate it. Yeah, (laughs) it's like it it was utilized, so it's crazy to me. So anyway, I never thought in a million years I would have been attacked by the anti-hunters. That's why I didn't film it in a way that was going around, beat around the bush and made it very, We never you know, thought someone who wasn't a hunter wouldn't. I don't waste my time watching things that I don't want to see. So we never thought that someone who didn't want to see it would watch it. Well, so not to why mention, film it that way? Yeah, well, not to mention I thought that they would respect it. I mean, why wouldn't you want to support someone trying to go out there mano a mano with a bear with a spear? Yeah. Bear hunting is happening. No one's killing enough bears. You know, the surplus is crazy. They're decimating the moose population. I mean, it, the the limit, I mean, they, they put bag limits. They, they allow every hunter 
that hunts a bear to kill two bears. In mm -hmm. Alberta. So in Alberta. So, I mean, you can kill two. So, I didn't even kill two. I killed one, and it took me all week, and I, I was lucky enough to do it. Yeah. So, I thought that these guys would have been pumped about the anti-hunters. Finally, someone's going out there and making it hard. He's yeah. listening to what we say. Do it with Yay, your hands. You yeah. know, they're, they're, and so, it just wasn't like that. So, then, I mean, this when this shit hit the storm. Well, and this, I oh, do want to say that anti-hunters doesn't mean just vegans. There are a lot of meat eaters who are also anti-hunters which right. is very ironic because we actually have a lot of vegan supporters who say if i did eat meat i would do it the way you do and i fully support you yeah but um see so yeah, i we do have a lot of vegan love but it the the article hit and that was sunday and monday we called under armor because they were really actually only at the time our main quote-unquote sponsor mm -hmm. and we wanted to just say like hey this is what's out there they hadn't even seen it yet what do you want us to do? Okay, great. We have a PR team in place that's going to handle all this. You guys don't talk to anyone. If if we hear anything, we'll let you know. Okay, great. Perfect. You guys have people who went to school for this and are employed for this. So everything was kind of fine um, for that day. Two days. Yeah. And then Tuesday, Tuesday morning, and I wish I had recorded it, um, a few people from Under Armour called, and they said the the – President of the Humane Society hand delivered a letter to Kevin Plank, I think it was Kevin, who's the owner of Under Armour, and mm -hmm. said, if you don't make a statement on this, we as the Humane Society will make this much worse for you. And I get it. I I get it. Under Armour's hunt makes up less than 1% of their entire global revenue. It's very small, especially in the world. And so if people are bringing bad press, you obviously need to make a statement, no matter if you supported it or not. And from a business owner perspective, we get it, but it was the fact that when they made their statement, they lied. That's what bothered me. That's what oh, bothered us. That, that hurts, man. Yeah. And they called oh. and they said, we need to make a statement. We need to say Josh was never sponsored. Okay, that's fine. He wasn't. Right. Um, he, was, he was a friend of the brand, whatever you want to say. We also need to say that we don't support or condone this type of hunting. And, and he specifically said, so you're going to lie. And they said, yes. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I said, do you realize how bad this is for you? And this was all because of a 5,000 um, signed petition. 5,000 people. I said, if Sarah does one post about this, it'll reach a quarter million people in a single post. I was like, I was like do you really want that going against your brand? I yep. said, 5,000 versus, I mean, what if we say what the truth is, that you guys are lying about this? I said, this will be terrible for you in the hunting industry. Mm -hmm. I said, because what's next? Because You take don't out forget. legal hunting, right. legal spear hunting, you, it's legal, nothing wrong. The animal died within, I mean, I was in camp and two people wounded bears with bows that they never found, mm -hmm. you know, and they were using a much more proficient weapon, yeah. but they wounded bears. Mm -hmm. So it's like, wait a second. So if you don't support spear hunting, what's next? Is it archery hunting? Is it only rifle hunting? I said, this is not going to be good in the hunting industry. Well, and it was the fact that they, during between May and this happened August 23rd, I think, they had posted it, they had shared it, they had liked it, they had commented on our stuff, you know, they're they're doing all these things. And then they said this and we're like, but you did these, you, you did support it and you did post it and you did share it and you did congratulate us publicly. And I had a text from their VP in marketing that said, uh, you know, obviously, it, it, it said congrats on, on killing the bear and thank you for rocking Under Armour gear during the spear hunt right after it happened. I mean, we could have made this so bad for them because their statement came out and they said that they didn't support it. Mm -hmm. And we had screenshot all this evidence. We had this huge case. I still had the text messages. I still had everything documented where they posted it on their page, supported it for four months, had all of this evidence, and we could have just wrecked them. Well, we so could have. So that was Tuesday. In the hunting industry. Yeah. Right. You. 
So that was on Tuesday. And then Wednesday rolls around. We had to leave our house because we were getting news people showing up. We were getting some handwritten death threats. We had people actually outside of Dublin Lifetime taking photos of us and selling them. At the them. gym you work out at. Yeah. Taking photos and they're selling and them. And selling them to online magazines and articles and things. And it was very... I wish I would have known that. I could have made some money. I, mean, what <laughs> yeah. I would have just came over and let's yeah, get a selfie. Okay. Can I get some pictures like I'm with you? the bear killers. <laughs> right. This would have been awesome. Um, and we've actually never shared many of these details ever before because we, you know, yeah. we just... It wasn't necessary. Of course. And so it. Um, we're, we're almost two years removed now, right? right? right. I mean, some of the the pain has yeah, subsided. You've yeah. been right. very successful since then. Like, right. I truly believe there are no accidents. Everything happens for some sort of reason. Right. And now we work with a great a great yeah. company, Camel Company, called Nomad, and they they've taken really good care of us. But um, so first statement comes out on Tuesday. Not really a lot of stink over it. Kind of just they didn't really make a huge statement. They just wanted to appease the Humane Society. So then the petition starts. Thursday comes around. We're we're down in Cincinnati at one of our hunting spots, just doing some things, and they call us at 4:45 p.m. and like you know, how's it going today? We're like, actually, it's pretty good. You know, the past few days we've been getting like 1,500 death threat emails. Today was kind of slow. You know, 100. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it it actually was a very quiet day, relatively speaking. And they said, well, you know, Sarah, unfortunately, we have to let you go too. I said, why? I I wasn't even in the video. Yeah, I filmed it. I wasn't. You. I wasn't even in. You see my hand once, and that's it. Yeah. I wasn't even in it. What did I do? Well, the statement we made, it didn't really appease. Um, it didn't really. It didn't really appease anyone. Like so, what? So we're gonna have to let you go too. Like I specifically said, are you sure? Yeah, we're sure. Okay. Are you really sure? Yeah, we're sure. Okay. I said, because I was like, I said, you don't, I said, you're not seeing this all the way through. Mm-hmm. I was like, the hunters are not going to forgive you for this. Yeah. And, and at, so it was like, yeah, I, they said, oh, well, you can't say anything bad about the company because of your contract. I said, you just terminated our contract. Yeah. And I said, we, we can say the truth. Mm-hmm. I said, whether that's bad or good, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's interpretation. Interpretation. Yeah, I said, we'll yeah. say the truth. Yeah. So we, we had all this evidence and we were going to just light them on fire and burn them to the ground in, in the whole hunting industry. That was our plan. And mm-hmm. he said, you know what? We're going to take the high road. So yeah, we're well, not we, going to do that. And we are entitled to and we wanted to. Oh, and we, I mean, there were many. We gave our heart and soul to that company we gave for them two years. Over yep. $750,000 in marketing value. Because yeah. we analyzed all the impressions of everything we gave them through the hunting and the fitness, and it was $750,000 is what they would have had to pay Google Analytics or anything to get the amount of impressions that we give them, mm-hmm. which was like, it was... It was like 130 million impressions. It was, it was something ridiculously high. I can't remember the details of that. But anyway, so we well, did we, all this for them, and then they just throw us to the wolves like this. Even though a week before this happened, we had 2017 and 2018 contracts, but, oh, we don't support... We don't support the Bomars, but a week ago we were going to. Of course. Until until these social justice warriors come forth and say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to buy Under Armour until you terminate Sarah Bomar." Well, jokes on them; they still have a hunt line. So I mean, did you really win because they're still sponsoring people to hunt? And those people are our friends, you know. So like, we we love and support the people at Under Armour Hunt. It didn't come from them, you know. They're it came from over here, and we talked to the people over here, and our friends are still, you know. So it's like we don't have any animosity towards a certain person or even Under Armour as a company. It was just the fact that they lied about it and it was the decision that was made that really exploded the, the hunting industry. Well, here's what we said in our post. We, you said, guys, you know, we've loved and supported Under Armour um, since you've ever followed us. I said, you will no longer see that. And it, it was simple like that. I said, well, we, this is why. We, they gave in to the anti-hunters. I said, because these guys 
they, they gave into the anti-hunters. That was a legal hunt. I didn't do anything wrong. Everything was by the books. And they gave into the pressures of the anti-hunters and they dropped us. Yeah. I said, you guys do with what you want with that. And the hunting industry went freaking berserk. I mean, crazy. Got, it got set on fire. Like mm -hmm. people were burning their Under Armour clothes. I mean, they were going oh, And we never crazy. told anyone to burn anything. Did. Of course. I mean, they were tweeting and it was just something. And it was the first time most hunters are very egotistical and they just, they're like, who can kill the biggest buck? So yeah. they're always fighting each other. But for this whole entire industry all rallied around this one movement of boycott Under Armour. Mm -hmm. I mean, within those three days, I mean, we did one post. Within three days, there was a petition to sign back Sarah that had over like 10,000 people sign it. Yeah. Like, we don't even want to work with them anymore. Yeah. But it completely got out of control. I mean, it was like people burning well, their clothes. Forbes, and Forbes did an article on it, on the aftermath and just how Under Armour is a business and their stocks were affected by it. It was just very interesting how how everything yeah, like yeah. Under Armour tanked after that whole thing. Right. Like the whole hunting industry had this huge impact on everything because all their kids play football, all this stuff. It was wild. Like their yeah. stocks went all the way down to junk status. Their owner sold off 72 million of his own stocks. I mean, it was crazy the circumstances that followed that. It sounds like it. And it was, and it, people think like, oh, you guys did that on purpose. I mean, literally you could go back. That was our only statement yeah. that we ever made. They gave into the pressures of the anti-hunters in a, a long drawn out way, but that was the summary of what mm -hmm. we said. And it was very unemotional, very like, not like, I hate these guys. You guys should go, boy. We never encouraged it at all. And it just happened. Yeah. And, and we were just sitting back and we weren't gonna stop it. Of course. You know, we felt that they deserved it. Yeah. Based on that, then just for putting us through the fire. I mean, we. I mean, I couldn't sleep for days because we no. were getting death threats and all this, and and I'm sitting here defending. Which is ironic brand. that people get mad at you for aiding in conservation, hunting an overpopulated animal, eating it, but then will threaten to kill you. Well, I was just say they're they're they're, <laughs> they're mad at you for killing an animal, and that yet they're threatening to kill you. They also even threatened some to chop of... my cat's heads off and send them to me in the mail. Yeah. I'm like, so... and these people are mad at us for harvesting a surplus of and, and animals. I'm like. Right. I'm like, oh my gosh. So what happens following this is what's what's kind of crazy. So obviously all this Under Armour stuff comes out and all these people are going um, hog wild against Under Armour. Well, Under Armour is, they don't know what to do now. You know, no, no, all their stuff literally just stops selling in all the stores, not on the fitness side, on the hunting side. Yeah. Yeah. So all this stuff happens and they just go crazy. And then now all these people are saying like, we caused all this and then everything. And we really didn't. Mm -hmm. But so we just, instead of moping around about it and feeling sad, you know, we just said, you know what, we're gonna buckle down and just do the best that we can. But we, it did affect our well, fitness we were, company too, bad. Yeah. You know? Well, and we were two weeks out from leaving on like a two month hunt and we didn't have anything to wear. And so yeah. our new sponsor, Nomad, they, they stepped up. They overnighted us a ton of stuff to, um, to our first hunt that year. And they're amazing to work with, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, and it's a company to where they only have hunting stuff. So, you know, if anything ever yeah, happens, it's not like they have to answer to anyone outside of the hunting industry, which right. like I said, Under Armour took a really big risk with that and they probably knew something was going to happen. And I just don't think they had responded in the right way yeah so it's but we did learn a lot <laughs> i'll say but during this whole time period it's not only obviously you've shared both sides of your life mm -hmm. and there's multiple facets but we'll say the hunting side is one side and then you have the fitness and nutrition right. side yeah. and also we know as i set up to start the episode you own something called bomar nutrition which has some of the most phenomenal tasting protein i've ever had before Thank like <laughs> and i'm not saying that because you're in front of me i mean yeah. i was fortunate enough to, to have you know a, a pound jug or whatever however yeah. you want to say it sent to me and it's crazy like it tastes like hot chocolate you have 
you'll see if you hop on Sarah's social media or even Josh's that there's endless reviews of people like, when are you going to have more? This stuff is incredible. Yeah. Of course, everybody like I, I want to I wanted to believe that because I know you guys. But I'm like, there's no way that this many people think this stuff is that good. Right. And then I take my first scoop. and I'm like, all right, fuck it. It's like it's, it's that good. So <laughs> so definitely recommend grabbing some of the protein if you guys get a chance. But in that, this is now your second slash third iteration of a supplement company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because there's there's some some trials and tribulations on that side that are literally going on almost in the same time period, right? Yes. I mean, same year at least. Yeah. yeah. Explain yeah. a little bit about what was a 100 degree nutrition was or 100, what was the name of the company? Yeah. yeah. Well, our, our idea was that water boils at 212 degrees. And yeah. so there's a book called The One Degree Difference. And yeah, so that familiar. was, we were going to, we were going to name it 212, but someone else had taken it. So we just converted it from Celsius to Fahrenheit. So that's why from, we from got, Fahrenheit, yeah, Fahrenheit Celsius. Celsius. So that's how we got a hundred degrees. But we, um, well, we and have our natural. Thing was our, the, we do the one degree difference or something like that. Yeah. Those lines, you know? Well, we own Natural Science Creation, which those supplements are more pharmaceutical grade, and they do require a little more explanation as far as what they do, who would need them. Whereas we wanted to launch something because people are already buying it. Mm-hmm. Our customers, we wanted to launch BCAAs and protein and fiber. You know, the the Fitch more oil, like commercialized the, the com- common stuff. Yeah, yeah, the more common ingredient or products, and so we let's do this one you know we'll just separate them we'll make it a whole new thing and yeah a lot of mistakes were made so i mean it was just so bad so obviously we're dealing with all this stuff with with the bear and because death threats and that's not easy to deal with it weighs on you but we're still trying to build our fitness company and just one problem after the other started happening with this we made huge mistakes where we didn't go see the manufacturing place where this stuff is made what what part of the world? You know what I'm saying? I don't, uh, I don't even know who it, was, it is. They were in Florida. It was in Florida. Okay. So this this place. So it was in Florida. It, 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 we got samples sent to us. It tasted great. We had nitrogen tests done on them. The macros were real. So we didn't think that it tasted awesome, great. So we're like, awesome. Let's put in this big order of supplements. This mm-hmm. big, huge t- orders. It, and so we do this, and we're launching our first product. And they say, hey, it'll be ready in uh, three weeks. We're like, sweet. <laughs> so at two weeks, we did our first pre-sale. We take people's money. Okay. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, where this that, is that, going. I, I have an idea. Yeah. Three, Go ahead. So two weeks till launch date. Two weeks, you'll have it for sure. This is April? Yeah, because we were actually in South Africa. It was yeah, in April. So it was, yeah, so it was April. So it was April 1st. We'll just say that for a time frame. Mm-hmm. April 1st. You have two two weeks, and we're going to get two weeks of pre-sales. We take all our people's You legally money. can't run a pre-sale unless the product ships two weeks from the date you start okay. legally. So that's two weeks come. The manufacturers went MIA. Like won't return our emails, calls, nothing. He has our money. Yeah. He, and I'm like, oh my God. We paid for all of it up front. Mm-hmm. Terrible idea. You're supposed to pay fifty percent. Yeah. Didn't know. Yeah. New business owner. Of course. So we're like, oh my God, what are we gonna do? We took all these people's money, you know, and I'm like and we're smart enough not to spend that money until products delivered. We did didn't make a mistake there. Some people would have went crazy with all of that. Mm-hmm. So we're calling. We're beating the door down. Finally, he gets back to us. Um, it's going to be another two weeks. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like a month. This is crazy. I'm like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. So everyone, we emailed everyone. We got everyone. Some people wanted their money back. Most of them hung on. I can wait another two weeks. I've waited this long. Two weeks come. Yeah. MIA again. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god. It's a month. I mean, we've taken these people's money. They are mad. We didn't get product shipped out until, again, this was April 1st on the first launch date, till the end of June. Oh, yeah. that's yes. a little delay. Oh yeah. my gosh, so we've lost all credibility. And see, here's the difference between our companies and how we run them versus everyone else's. 
We run companies and we work directly with the customer. If you email customer service, you talk to us. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't ship or sell supplements to stores. Right. You know, so most companies, they deal with the stores, the stores sell to the customer. The customer gets mad about the product, they get mad at the store. Maybe the, the brand, mm -hmm. maybe. But so if something's bad, it's on us. And because we've worked our absolute asses off building this fan base that people respect us, you got one chance with someone's respect, one. You know, when it comes to buying stuff for them. You know, and if you're a raving fan of that person, maybe you get some more, maybe. Maybe a few tries, maybe. Yeah. But what happened was, I mean, it was, we'd tell them one thing, two weeks, two weeks comes. Sorry guys, it's gonna be another two weeks. Well, they don't care about the manufacturer. No. no. It's on us, we can't sit there and say it's the manufacturer's fault. Right. You know, because then they're gonna be like, well, that's just an excuse. Mm -hmm. So it was lump after lump after lump. We finally get all the product, and then they shipped product out. It didn't have any labels on it. Unlabeled. No yeah. labels. People were getting these unlabeled tubs of protein, and we're just like, he's like, well, I was just trying to get it out. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. I mean, it just was a shit storm from the beginning, and it just went downhill. So our launch was terrible, and first impressions are pretty much all that matters. So. Yeah. We, we didn't reorder, thankfully, you know, we didn't have another order in, and it took us, what, a year and a half to sell out of all that stuff. We were just almost giving it away because we, we our name wasn't on it, thankfully. It we was ordered too much. Degrees. Yeah, mm -hmm. we ordered way too much. We had it shipped out of California, which makes no sense because most people, it's expensive, and most people don't live there, so then you have to ship it all the way back across the country. Yeah. It was just... So we had drop shippers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they were paying a storage fees for products people weren't buying. Of course. We had so many mistakes here. I mean, we just, it was so bad. And yeah. it was like, and all these things. And then eventually the company just tanked. Yeah. I mean, we, we weren't making any money with it. People weren't buying it. We were promoting it and people would try it. And then the protein sat on the stinking warehouse for so long, it would be clumpy when they got it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you got to move this stuff quickly. So you have to have a pretty realistic expectation of how much you're going to sell. Because yeah. you don't want stuff to sit around. Of course. And that, I mean, dude, it was just one thing after another. And then so this company, we just, we, we were like, it's not working. And we did fist pumped and we just tanked it. And yeah, because essentially at that point, are you about to break even in that company or, or a little I think we we wouldn't have broke even no as it, we, we had to reduce the price so much yeah and, and we then refunds to, and yeah the shipping and everything like so many costs that we didn't factor in I think we were in the it. whole what 45,000 I think yeah. total on that yeah. So I mean, it's not a huge lump. It's not like we lost millions on this mm -hmm. deal. So forty-five thousand still—that's a lot of money. Well, it's all relevant too. Right. I mean, you think about it. You have the Under Armour deal. You have the issues with the spear hunting. You have a forty-five thousand dollar loss. You have distractions through that time period of not being able to grow other enterprises. So right. the net effect of loss in that is much greater than forty-five grand during that time period. Oh yeah. That's yeah. just what stung your bank account. And no, that might not be crippling to some people, but. Other people, they'll never see forty-five grand in their savings account. Right. You know, and it's well, it's we gone lost. Now. Oh my gosh! I think we went from, uh, well, I don't know the percent difference, but it was how much income did we lose from two thousand fifteen to two thousand sixteen? I mean, it was a massive decrease. Mm -hmm. At least what seventy percent of our income, I would say. Yeah. It was at least seventy percent of our income we lost. What is crazy is I think every entrepreneur. At, and screw it. I, I we already have set the framework for what we think of that term. Yeah. yeah. We all have went through this period where we experienced massive success and then got that recalibration. Yeah. You know, however you want to yeah. say it, like where maybe you're spending money a little too frivolously or it got too big for your britches or thought there was going to be success around every corner, didn't pay attention to all the details. You thought you had it all figured out and then it didn't work. Like I've shared my merchant processing company, my check was 
mm-hmm. 340 grand to shut it down, plus the running of the business throughout the year. That was another 20 or 30 grand a month. Yep. Like it was all just gone. Like every dollar I made from selling a company was gone after a year. Mm-hmm. That car repossessions, yeah. you know, foreclosure, like it was just this downward spiral. And it wasn't the economy, it was me. Like, yeah. I couldn't point my finger at anybody else. It's like, no, I just made some bad decisions. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one in that equation. Oh, I think it's I, I think any entrepreneur you ever talk to, they all have taken some serious lumps on the chin, and I think that's a part of that that mental fortitude that that a, a real successful entrepreneur has to have. You have to be ready to take those lumps and be okay with it. Yeah, you got to be ready to take you know and get knocked out and get knocked out of the ring. And that was for us. You know, we lost 70% of our income from 2014. We grew 300%, and then mm-hmm. it was like another 300 percent and then we lost all of it you know and went in 2016 from the bear thing from everything our company failing you know and then we manufacture embezzle the, money well that's the other thing we <laughs> we took our we took 100 grand during that year and we built a web a, a, a new website because mm-hmm. we at that point we were selling customized meal plans okay you know so these meal plans we would sell this customized meal plan we would sell a customized workout plan charge you 500 bucks for eight weeks mm-hmm. pretty good deal i mean they didn't they would that was it was all customized to them the workouts weren't you know those were systemized like yeah. I designed, but the, and you talk to us for eight weeks as much as you want back and forth in 500 bucks. Well, we were always trying to chase value. So instead of charging someone 500 bucks, like how can we create a system that these people can get all the same value and much, much more for a lot less? Mm-hmm. So that was the year we spent 100 grand, made this membership website to where we filmed all these exercises, put everything online, and what we were getting $500 for, we were now getting $30 for. So we're no longer promoting the customized meal plans. Right. And then that tanked because we, we couldn't promote it well enough from all this other stuff. So we had our massive income that we were, we were expecting there to be a lull period. Yeah. It just happened to all hit us all at once. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, I'm surprised we stayed together through all that. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's funny. Yeah, 2016 was the hardest year. But on the backside of that, here we are mid-2018. Mm-hmm. feels like the mid-2018. And... Through the perils and trials and tribulations over the past two years, you guys have learned how to run and scale Bomar Nutrition now. Yep. Yeah. And if memory serves me correctly, you've hit your first six-figure month in earnings. Yes. Yeah. Revenue. I mean, that's those of you that don't know, revenue is what you bring on the top, profits what you keep on the bottom. Those are different numbers. Like right. yeah, very they, did, different. they did not make a million, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in there. They're not walking around with bags of money right now. Right. But that's a phenomenal accomplishment. Like yeah. you think about just how quickly life can change in not even two years. Two years looking back, you it feels like two years from now, you think about that and you're like, okay, two years from now, that is a forever way, un- inconceivable how long of time that is. But then you look back on two years, that's nothing. Yeah. It feels like nothing. And so like for us, it's like, we made a lot of mistakes with those companies and doing things at the wrong time, and we will not make those mistakes again. You know, mm-hmm. And that's what we did with Bomer Nutrition. One of our big mistakes uh, with that, we had a great product, but we never went to the place where it was being made. Right. You know, this time, every single flavor we come out with, every flavor, not an exception, we go, we fly all the way down to Florida, mm-hmm. we spend a thousand bucks to finalize one flavor. Yep. Instead of them shipping it to us, yeah. and then we go back and forth, and then we settle with what we think is the best. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it may be the best, we don't know, but we fly down there, we spend an entire day to finalize one flavor. Absolutely. And we try everything, so we know. And that's how we're able to, we, we did all that, and we meet the people we're working with, and 
we're gonna have a great team. You know, it's not us. We're not this Josh and Sarah Bomar. No, it takes a village for sure. I mean, oh, absolutely. We do handle everything. You know, from customer service side of things, we've got an unbelievable web guy, and uh, you know, Mike Johnson. He works for us. He's a great dude. I mean, mm -hmm. unbelievable. He helps design labels, and you know, before uh, for most companies, they would hire a label guy. Yep. And then they would go back and forth. I would sit on Skype with with Mike, and we would go over, spend hours, six hours, designing this label together. Mm -hmm. And it'd be back and forth. And that's how you know we made huge differences and paid attention to the details of things. Don't do we, any more pre-sales. Yeah. yeah. And I think we we kind of took a step back. And yeah, you're you know you've got a new product and you're super excited to bring it to market. But if you do it before it's ready or before you can actually collect emails or make sales. You've really got only one chance, and if you really don't want to mess up, so yeah. I think that was a huge lesson for us was just like taking a step back, taking the extra time to make sure the label's right and the website's right, and to test everything because what you think could go wrong will probably go wrong at some point in launching a product or a service or a website, and it's vital to just yes, it's very exciting, but you don't want to lose that when you actually need to make the sale. Yes, and I think that's one of the most impactful lessons from our conversation today. So to, to bring it together, it's there's this place in between paralysis by analysis where you're so excited about a new product that you're doing all the research and you never really get anything done mm -hmm. versus the other end of the spectrum where you've got a great idea, you're super excited about it, and you don't give a shit about the details and you just go. Yeah. And that sweet spot in the middle is really where the magic of most successful businesses operate. Right. Now, the three of us at this table both been at both ends of that spectrum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like, I think you have to be. You have yeah. to be to know where the middle is. Absolutely. Yeah. You, can't, you can't know where the middle is unless you've been to both ends. Yes. Yeah. And so through that, you, the listeners, as you're sitting there, where in your life are you gravitating towards one of the extremes when you should be in the middle? You know, is it inside your, your professional career right now where you, you think you, it's, it's all or nothing and there's this sweet spot in the middle of really how you operate even inside an organization? Mm -hmm. Like you think about it right now and you want to climb the corporate ladder. Sarah said it, you know, the best that she was in the corporate world and took this 180, really more than 180 degree swing of just yeah. screw it and throw her, her stuff against the wall and she found success with it. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the position you're in right now and you need to take that chance, but that chance can still be the middle. It doesn't have to be this extreme feeling because she vetted out the process. She found success in it before she jumped ship. It wasn't, oh, you do this, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to quit my job, and we're going to figure it out. Right. But there was some thought process behind that, and it worked for you. Well, I think that also trains you, too, because if you if you go through the process you just went through, I did the exact same thing. I worked, I worked at Metro Fitness, mm -hmm. and I was in sales, in personal training sales, and the difference between most people say, well, I'm going to be a personal trainer on my own, and they just quit. Yep. We'll see, and then, because they, they don't think they have time. See, that's, no, you don't use your time, you don't prioritize your time is the difference. Right. So I, instead of only working 40 hours a week, I would do 100 hours a week instead of sleeping. You know, I would start my businesses after I would get off work. Mm -hmm. I didn't consider the nine to five anything. That's where I did my job, nine to five. Right. The five to the nine is what I cared about. So I went through the motions, the nine to five, but I never stopped the, the five to nine. So when I did something in the five to the nine, that made as much as my nine to five, I did it for six months. Yeah. And then I never touched that income it from the, my normal job. If mm -hmm. I, and I didn't need it for, it was five to six months, then I'd quit that job and I'd move on to here and then I'd do the same thing and progress. Yep. But it takes a lot of time and some people may not be able to do that with family. I, I don't know. You know, for me, I was a single guy. I was just working my guts out for that. But you know what, if I did have a family, I feel like I would have done the same thing, yeah. you know, because it took two years. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, People want results a couple weeks and things like that, but yeah. you know, two years—it's not bad. 
No, and that's for so many different entrepreneurs. You and the three of us all know together. This whole, I think it truly takes eight to ten years to become this overnight success. Yeah, yeah. Like truly, like you, you oh, skin your sure. knees a bunch of times, you try different things, you're building mm-hmm. your social following, whatever it is, and then all of a sudden you look back in ten years, like, okay, now you're a household name, and you guys have done a great job in a much shorter time period than that. But you think you're already four and a half, five years into this journey? Right. Oh, that's well, so think, wild. It's think, been that long. Yeah. And I think education too. You know. Even if you went to school for something, you learned how to learn. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who, you know, they don't take that into account. You know, like every every scenario and everything you've ever done makes you who you are today. And a lot of people, they do. They look at me and Josh and they, oh, well, I want to be successful like you. Okay, well, then go back and get your master's and get your undergrad in three years like I did. You know, and not everyone has to take the same path. But, you know, you forget that there's a lot that went into it that's just not the superficial what you oh, see and there's, online. There's a process, yeah. you know, and that's what people don't understand is like, if you want to be successful fast, then do the process fast. Mm-hmm. You know, so do you do you make the, the daily decisions that are going to put you towards your goal? You know, one thing I guarantee you most people do, well, I don't have time to read a book. Yeah, you do. And they have this negative, oh, this education system, like we could d- t- dive into that too and it would take forever. But I mean, that bothers me how the education system set up because it's training these people, these potential entrepreneurs and business owners, it's training them to be very bad business owners. Their school systems train us to hate books. Yeah. And that's the worst thing because they make us read things we don't want. And then I would sit across from here and if say someone's like, man, I just want to do anything to be a millionaire. I said, okay. So do you want to earn seven figures? All right, do you know how much you need to make a month? Um, well, how much do I need to make a day? Okay, mm-hmm. and then you're like, you need to make $83,000 a month. Yeah. How are you gonna give $83,000 worth of value to the, to the world, mm-hmm. to where the, the world pays you 83 grand? And they're like, well, I don't know. I said, you know who does? Millionaires. I said, I said so what if I got in a group of millionaires into this room and you could interview them and, and pick their brain and let's just pick one billionaire. One, we'll just do Warren Buffett, for example. Yeah. And you could ask Warren Buffett anything that he's ever, any question you want, and he's gonna give you every answer that he knows on how to be as successful as him. Mm-hmm. I said, how much would that interview be worth to you? And you would be like, millions. I'm like, you big dummy, he wrote a book, and he right. put everything he knows in the book, just read the book, yeah. and it's $10. Yeah. And it's like, that's what I tell people all the time, it's like, you have to become addicted to interviewing these millionaires, interviewing these people that have wrote these books, and the interview, sure, you don't get to interview the person, but you get everything that they know in that book. Mm-hmm. They're gonna write everything they know. Absolutely. You know, so read the book, and people are like, well, I don't have time to physical read, then you turn your car into a traveling university. Yeah. And. Well, that whole thing, I mean, again, I'll, I'll digress and wrap the episode up here just to, for listener fatigue. Yeah. But it sounds like you and I are the same. I've read a book a week for the past 18 months, Wow. maybe a little bit longer. And it's not to pound my chest. It's the fact of I've made a conscious decision to start getting up at 430 in the morning because I knew if I didn't do that, I couldn't find the time. Right. So I gave up some nighttime activities. So I go to bed at 930, maybe 10. And I give up a little bit of extra stuff for myself in the morning because that 35 or 40 minutes of solitude to read and has more value than almost anything I'm gonna do all day. Oh yeah. But it was a conscious decision. Like you have to, I, I don't, I can't find time. I haven't met too many people that work two full-time jobs, seven days a week, plus take care of a family. And I know you guys are out there. I know you exist. So I'm not blanket statement. Yeah. We can all find 15 or 20 minutes of solitude. Like drive to the freaking office early and sit in your car. Right. Yeah. And read in the car before you walk inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get tired of driving to work and you're gonna have enough knowledge to go start your own business. Like. Yeah. All this is, is, it's really crazy to me, but you touch on some really phenomenal points. Like, yeah. Well, that's the point. If you ever, ever listen to a song in the car, mm-hmm. then you have time to listen to a book. 
yes. or an audio. And I, I, my gosh, I, I made it taboo for five years that I would never listen to a song in the car, not once. Mm -hmm. And I, every single time I got in the car, I turned on an audio or a book or something and I would listen to that book or that audio for 10, 15 minutes. Now, if I got super tired or something, I would turn it off. Yeah. You know, I don't want to fall asleep driving, obviously. If long road trips, there are small exceptions. Mm -hmm. But driving day to day, 15 minutes to work, 15 minutes back is 30 minutes of reading or yeah. listening. Absolutely. You know, you get more from physically reading, but learning, if I can learn anything, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, it made a huge difference for my life because again, I didn't come from a successful background, so I had to learn how to do this stuff and how to run a business because they don't teach you that in the schools. Absolutely. You know, so. Yes. So, in wrapping up the episode, I couldn't be more appreciative that you guys spent however long this has been. It feels like 20 minutes, but I'm yeah. sure it's been probably two hours. <laughs> you know, great seeing you. I appreciate all the stories and the transparency. Yeah. And, and just a reminder to just keep going. Yeah. Like, really, at the end of this, your guys' story, I hope you turn it into a book. I mean, th th there's there's <laughs> something here for a book as well just to add to the the strength of the messaging because yeah, it right. like everybody's message matters. So, I, I appreciate you and you, the listeners, remembered every day to get shit done.